It's Friday, May 6, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. It can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear, hot-melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family are in the midst of a BOGO right now. Six-piece towel sets, MyPillows, and Giza Dream Everything. Buy one, get one free. Some orders you get in free shipping. Some orders you get in a free gift. Some orders you get in both. What I do know everybody's getting is the best night's sleep they've ever owned when they enter promo code STEAK at checkout. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things headphone related, the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, coming home, Get those ears taken care of and done up right. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. He's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website at WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook's Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. When they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear for Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. And a pretty fire IG. Mediocre Medic is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday, owner, operator, and CEO of Dump Box. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. Or check out our website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, our newest Substack, Telegram, and more. On that note, and to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now, True Social. Welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 132. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We're going to be sitting down with former Trump administration official Paige Willie. We're also going to have uh, former governor of Missouri, current Senate candidate, great friend of the show, Eric Greitens, joining us today. Nice. And we'll do the back end of the news with one of our 
really great friends, none other than Mr. Andrew McCarthy. But first, let's jump into the news. What's going on, Noah? Oh, you know. How are things? Doing the thing and the things. Here we are. Lovely Friday edition. Oh, that you're going to do the time thing again. Oh, it is the space that keeps <laughs> us together. And apart. Mm. Well, we do have a, you know, let's do a little bit of a housekeeping first. I was telling Noah right before we started recording today, I got a phone call after I dropped off my kids. It was the campaign manager for none other than Mr. J.R. Majewski, who pulled out an incredible win in his house race in Ohio last week. And she called to thank us. And said that uh, there was a lot of people who they reached out to throughout the course of the campaign who they asked for support and some FaceTime. Of course, we reached out to him immediately for how based he was during the, uh, you know, lawn thing during the 2020 presidential election. Mm -hmm. But, you know, anyone who listened to the show that Jr. was on knew a few things. The guy knows his shit, and he was extremely serious about this race. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no debating that. The guy has an extensive background in like law enforcement, security, and all things nuclear. What else can you ask for in addition to being a Trump supporter and America First candidate? Oh, I can't wait to get him back. Me either, which consequently she wanted to talk about. She said he was going to take a little bit of time off because a lot of people don't know this. About two weeks before the vote last weekend, he lost his dad. Oh, shit. And he said one of his dad's biggest things was that he wanted to call him Congressman Majewski. And uh, that didn't happen. As do a lot of things when, uh, you know, you talk about family members that pass away, there's always something that they're looking forward to because, you know, they're happy and proud for their kids. And I'm sure he couldn't have been prouder uh, regardless of what was going on, you know, surrounding his uh, death and before that. But he's going to take a little time off to unplug, uh, not taking too much time off from the campaign trail. But when he's ready to start doing interviews again, we're going to be one of his first and we'll be bringing that one to you. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of the relationships we're trying to build here. We might not agree with every other show. With all the biggest pundits on who they're getting behind and not, I think some are more selective than others. We try to say no to nobody. Um, But at the same time, when when there's things that raise red flags, we're going to call it as it is, too. Uh, For instance, you know, you can't be full-on J.D. uh, Vance and 100% not on with Dr. Oz when they're both getting the same endorsement for Trump and for the same reasons. You know, you have to be able to break them down and uh, have pros and cons for both and uh, red flags for both and uh, pluses for both. But we'll see moving forward. J.R. Majewski was one of the ones we tied our wagons to early, and uh, we're happy to have him back probably uh, in the beginning of June. So we'll be looking forward to it. Someone who wasn't looking forward to his job this week. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Was it like a weird little bald alien guy? You know, not, not the illegal type, but the actual like space alien. I don't know how we missed it, and it's probably because we're so caught up in the logistics of it and the big scheme of things when it comes to border security. But there's a lot of penis head references going around. It completely went over mine. Really? Yeah. It went over your penis head? My actual <laughs> head. But it's it's we're talking about Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas probably has not been having a great time during the uh, barnstorming season for Mamuncas? appropriations. And what he wants to do with his money. After asking the House last week for his bloated budget to not secure the border and let lots of drugs in, uh, he he had a little bit of a spoiler and said they're also going to do the uh, Ministry of Truth, which didn't really go over well with some of our most base House representatives. It was the Senate's turn this week, and I've found a couple of the choice cuts. Basically, his plan would be like, let's say, for instance— we're having a shoplifting problem at Walmart. Um, 
And the manager or the corporate people, they just want to open an extra door so that the shoplifters can get in and out faster. Congressman, if you... Uh, um, the gentleman's if, time has expired. If you had three... <laughs> If you had three shoplifters and 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 twenty armed, aggravated bank robbers, uh, uh, who 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 would you who would you rather pursue? Mm-hmm. Let's start off with the homeland uh, secretary talking about in his opening statement just about what's going on. After Title Forty Two is lifted, non-citizens will be processed pursuant to Title Eight which provides that individuals who cross the border without legal authorization are processed for removal and, if unable to establish a legal basis to remain in the United States, promptly removed from the country. We started our planning last September, and we are leading the execution of a whole-of-government strategy, which stands on six pillars to prepare for and manage the rise in non-citizen encounters. Mm. One, surge resources including personnel, transportation, medical support, and facilities. Two, increase efficiency without compromising the integrity of our screening processes in order to reduce strain on the border. Four, Three, administer consequences for unlawful entry, including expedited removal and criminal prosecution. False. Four, bolster the capacity of NGOs and coordinate with state, local, and community partners. That's true. They love NGOs. target and disrupt transnational criminal organizations and human smugglers. Yeah, not doing that. deter irregular migration south of our border in (laughs) partnership with other federal agencies and nations. Mexico hates you. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. Only Congress can fix this. Ah. Yet, we have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States and interdicted more drugs and disrupted more smuggling operations than ever before. A significant increase in migrant encounters will strain our system even further, and we will address this challenge successfully. Let go more than ever before. And we need the partnership of Congress, state and local officials, NGOs, and communities to do so. To build on our ongoing work in this budget, we have requested funding to hire 300 new Border Patrol agents, the first increase since 2011, ensure the safe and humane treatment of migrants, and operationalize a new rule on asylum processing. We are requesting additional funds to counter human and drug smuggling operations, combat the heinous crime of child exploitation and human trafficking, and stop goods produced by forced labor from entering our markets. Finally, our mission set includes a series of other essential priorities. DHS, through the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, protects our critical infrastructure from malicious cyber activity, a threat heightened due to Russia's unprovoked and brutal invasion of Ukraine. We need a Russia bill. Our budget will expand our cybersecurity services bolster our ability to respond to cyber intrusions and grow our cyber operational planning activities. DHS, through the Transportation Security Administration, protects the traveling public. Our budget invests in paying TSA's dedicated personnel commensurate with their federal colleagues and ensuring they receive employment protections. DHS, through FEMA and other agencies, continues to answer the risks by climate change and natural disasters uh, growing uh, in ferocity and frequency. Our budget invests in adaptation, resilience, improved response and recovery, and more. We cannot do this alone. 
DHS is a department of partnerships. I look forward to working with this committee to carry out our wide-ranging mission. No, I think it stands for the Homeland American Security. Just, Thank you. Just saying. You know, uh, thanks though. They, they weren't looking too forward to him. I've taken some of the best choice cuts after he stuck to the script that he read for the house and added a couple different things. Um, just tweaked it a little bit. So our prime choices of this hearing, the national treasure, Senator Kennedy. Ooh, having a national treasure reference in a while. <laughs> Josh Hawley, Ron Johnson, Kristen Cinema, oh, Democrat senator. Hmm. And wait, we, she, she was shitting on him. Well, wow. Spoiler alert. Friendly fire. And then we're gonna play one complete clip. Last week we played two because they were relevant. Um, you know, Jim Jordan and uh, actually it was uh, Chip Roy and, and Matt Gates. Uh, we're gonna give you the full Monty. Un- unadulterated Monty of Rand Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I saw somebody... uh, I've heard none of this, by the way, so this is the first time I'm hearing any of it, and I can't wait. Somebody tweeted, and I I quoted it and shared it. It was like the eight-minute clip of their interaction, and he says it's like a lion feasting on a a wounded gazelle. (laughs) So that's what we're in for, but we're going to get started with our favorite national treasure, uh, Senator John Kennedy. Um I've got two clips from him. One's kind of shorter and one's actually what he's going to get to the point on, but he uh talked about TikTok. I bet you know what this one's about. No, let's hear it. When when the department picked her was the department aware of her TikTok videos? Uh, Senator, um, uh, I was, they're really quite precocious. Um, uh, Senator, um, I was not uh, aware uh, of those videos. You know, he's talking about Nina Jankowitz, the new <laughs> head of the Ministry How, of Truth. Wait, wait, wait. You're putting somebody in charge of some department. You did no background check on her. Okay. Did you hear how big boy he was in his opening statement and like pounding the table and oh, talking yeah. his big boy voice? And, and then as soon as they start shitting on him, uh, Senator, uh, Senator, I have the uh, data. I'd like to read you some data right now. Oh, let's get into it. Here's Senator Kennedy's full clip. I am in awe of Ms. Jankowitz. I have watched her. With slack-jawed astonishment. <laughs> Who picked her? Who? Who? Senator, the, uh, Senator Kennedy, it's nice to see you as well. The Department of Homeland Security <laughs> selected Ms. Jankowicz. Who at the department picked um, her? Senator, we, we don't discuss our, hiring, our internal hiring processes, but I am the no, Secretary of Homeland Security, and I, ultimately I am responsible. I am responsible. the Secretary. Mm-hmm. When, you, uh, when the department picked her, did did it know that she had said that Mr. Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation? Uh, um, Senator, uh, let me let me uh, repeat myself and add one uh, other fact. I was not aware of that. Uh, we do not discuss the internal hiring process. Ultimately, as the secretary, I'm responsible for the decisions of the Department of right. Homeland Security. When when. Uh, 
When the department picked Ms. Jankowicz, did it know that she had vouched for the veracity of the Steele dossier? Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator, let me um, repeat myself and add an, an additional fact. Um, uh, one, uh, we do not discuss uh, internal hiring processes. Two, I was not aware of that fact. Uh, three, as the Secretary of Homeland Security, I am responsible for the decisions of the department. And four, uh, it is my understanding that Ms. Jankowicz is a subject matter expert in the field for, in which she will be working on behalf of the department. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> so that's kind of how things got started. <laughs> I like how you just had to remind him that I, I am the secretary of the Department of uh, Homeland. Uh, what did he try to say it was? Ultimately, at the uh, end of the day, I'm, I, uh, the, the secret- Mr. Secretary is responsible for the uh, hiring process based on the uh, data which I'm about to provide right now. Kristen Cinema, who we really didn't think would bring anything relevant to the table, although uh, we heard she's going to be playing quite an integral role in the whole Roe v. Wade and, and what's going to happen in the Senate next week with uh, Senator Schumer looking to do a, a codify vote on abortion. We won't get into that now because we're, we're talking about Homeland Security. Let's hear the senator, Democrat senator from Arizona, take my orcas to task. Our communities right now are absorbing costs related to the migrant surge, including sanitation, oh, that's why they're emergency mad. servants, services for migrants in distress, hospital visits, and other costs. Like Many that. of these costs are not reimbursed by the federal government, even though this is the federal government's problem. For example, a small town in southern Arizona, Summerton, has spent tens of thousands of dollars to respond to emergency calls on the border in recent months. There's no expectation of reimbursement by the federal government for the cost to Summerton. So what additional authorities does DHS require in order to reimburse these community and their local services who are paying the price for Washington's immigration problems? Walmart gift cards. Some data. Um, When you mentioned Washington's... um, uh, problems I can't help but think of um, uh, the need for legislation um, to address uh, what is clearly a broken immigration system. We, of course, have been using the emergency food and shelter program, of which you are very familiar. Um, we are looking at other resource vehicles to assist state and local communities uh, that are taxed uh, uh, by the challenges that we uh, are facing uh, now. We are looking very. So something bigger and faster than buses and airplanes? Uh, one of those magnetic rail trains like they have in Asia? Or Disneyland? Because <laughs> apparently that's where they're all going when they get in. Is that the one underground or above ground? <sighs> Not the creepy one. Mm. They're all yeah. creepy there. I know. Senator Josh Hawley was up next. And uh, wanted to touch back on the new Ministry of Truth head, Nina Jankowitz, and asked about some specifics related to the uh, hiring process. Let's hear him get into it. Was to combat misinformation online or in the government. Why on God's green earth would you <laughs> nominate someone who is a human geyser of misinformation? Wow. Um, Senator... Um... <laughs> I, I am ultimately responsible for the hiring for the geyser of, of Ms. Jankowitz 
to be the executive director of the Disinformation Governance Board. In my capacity as the secretary, why did you I, I, bear, I bear responsibility uh, for that. Um, I understand that she is uh, an expert in disinformation. Yes, indeed, will, spreading it. And she will have an obligation <laughs> to execute her responsibilities in a nonpartisan way. Were you aware uh, of these? Were you aware of this information when you chose her? Everything I, I've just shown you? I was not. What, how could you not be? Uh, uh, Did you do any research on her? Senator, Senator, uh, I will not uh, discuss the internal workings of the hiring process. You won't? Of the Department of Homeland Security. Well, let me ask you about this. Uh, I'm sure there are documents pertaining to this board, minutes of meetings, communications about who would serve on the board. Will you release those to this committee? Um, uh, Senator, there are not uh, yet this, this governance board. Wait a minute. There are, no me there are no minutes of meetings about this board? It is not yet. You've not um, created any records? It has not yet begun its work. Y you've hired her. You surely had deliberations about hiring her. The, the, the board has not yet met. You, you had deliberations about hiring her, though, correct? Uh, no. I did not, uh, Senator. You just said that you are solely responsible for hiring her. In my capacity as the secretary... I bear responsibility. Are you telling me that there are no documents associated with this board? I, that, I, that I don't know. You asked for meeting minutes. minutes. of meetings, documents pertaining to the board, any records of communications about who would serve on the board. Will you turn those over to this committee? Any document pertaining to this board, will you turn it over to this committee? Senator, we, we owe you documents with respect to the work of this board that already are in existence. So you'll turn them all over? You will turn those documents over to this, to this committee? Unless there is a legal basis for us not to do so. Uh, Senator, I will follow up with my uh, colleagues on that. Hmm. Yeah. He was squirming. Does he know anything? Uh, well, Senator, actually. Like, they don't really actually want to be on the hook for this fucking farce that they're trying to perpetuate on us right now. I mean, even though he admitted he is on the hook for it, ultimately. Huh? What a shitbird. He certainly is. And um, it just seems that he didn't come to play. He, he was going to just... He came to bear his belly? Yeah. He brought everything to the table to kind of deflect. And uh, wasn't going to be serious about any of the questions that he was asked. I think uh, Senator Johnson was up next. And he came correct. You know, he's a big advocate for the borders. It seems like they were going back and forth. And lobbying him around like a beach ball before they set up the uh, lob pitch to Rand Paul, which will be our last clip. Let's hear Senator Johnson first. Full-blown crisis did not start until you and President Biden took office. You dismantled return in Mexico. You dismantled those agreements. You sent the signal to the world that America's borders are open. UN Title 42, and the signal says the borders are completely open. Now, can you sit there and testify that the root cause of the current crisis isn't how you dismantled what worked under the previous administration? Yes, that, that is my position, Senator. You, 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 you I, do not believe that your dismantling of those successful policies that obviously worked didn't cause this crisis? That you, that you, were, you were brought into office with a, I understand the system can't handle 7,000 people a day, which is what you know, we've been averaging since you, your administration took office about 6,000 a day, last month 7,000 a day. I know the system can't handle that, but that wasn't a broken system. What's broken 
is the uncontrolled flow caused by your policies of opening up the border. You, you won't admit that what you did in dismantling successful policies caused this? Senator, I, so I disagree with your friend. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. That wasn't going to be the end of it. Let's hear the back end of that clip. And you can sit there and deny that your, the actions you took, your policies, have sent the signal to the world. Again, end Title 42, it is the final signal that our border is completely open. You even stopped calling it apprehension. Now it's just encounter. You encounter. You're managing the process by making that processing and dispersing so much more efficient. Um, I would like to finish my answer. <laughs> well, you're not answering the question. You're, you're, you're just dodging it. No, I, I've already answered your question, Senator, if I may, that we do not believe the policies of this administration have caused um, the migration challenge okay, that actually... Okay, that, that's, that's, you're, you're living in an alternate that, reality. That, that is actually... Huh? Again, you can see. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where they were at. Yeah, you cannot possibly say that this administration is not the cause of the most recent surge in migration. Well, they dismantled every, every policy imaginable, everything from the completion of the border wall to any of the protections that the United States had to, you know, uphold the integrity and sovereignty of its border. California representative, San Diego representative, Daryl Issa was down last week. Apparently, some people from the Department of Homeland Security, I'm not exactly sure where, leaked some internal documents to him. Oops. That showed this big whole Title 42 thing that like every senator and every congressman wants to talk about. They actually stopped uh, adhering to it down on the southern border in April. Like what part? Like the part where we're supposed to send anybody back. Oh. Yeah, pretty interesting. Huh. Because, you know, every show you hear, that's all the, oh, you can't end Title 42. It's the only defense we have right now to send people back. But it already ended? That's what Daryl Issa said in an exclusive interview with huh. with actual documents that I read on Breitbart last night. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's so, interesting. Very. So it sounds like we're beating a dead horse, but that horse has already been dead for a minute. Which brings us to our main event. Oh, yeah. And one that uh, I'm sure you will all enjoy. We're not really big on playing extended clips. However, you need to get the full effect of. And, and this is like, just imagine all of those title fights with Dr. Fauci. And Rand Paul had it ready for Alejandro Mayorkas. Like tag team fight. Yeah. With a steel chair. Yes. And it's not Bernie Sanders. Or, or no, the ladder. I like the ladder. Ooh, Hell in a Cell. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Let's hear Senator Paul. Essentially, tear him a new asshole. Do you think the Steele dossier included Russian disinformation? Uh, Senator, um, uh, th that's not a question that I'm equipped to, to answer. The, uh, was it was in the public news. It was a, you may have heard of it, the Mueller investigation. It was a $32 million investigation that went over a couple of years. Uh, Horowitz was an investigator general, and he looked at the FBI's activity in the beginning of this. And what the FBI concluded was that there were FBI agents throughout this period of time who concluded that, yes, the dossier was full of Russian disinformation. So let's say it is Russian disinformation. You say your new disinformation governance board is going to help the public with disinformation. You claim it's not going to be about domestic. It's going to be about foreigners and those evil Russians. So here's my question. The FBI concludes that the Steele dossier was full of Russian disinformation. CNN propagated this disinformation gladly for years and years. 
The difference, I guess, between your opinion and our opinion is that as despicable as it is that CNN propagated this disinformation, I, I wouldn't shut them down. I wouldn't lecture them. I wouldn't put it on a government website that CNN's wrong for propagating disinformation. The problem you have is you're not even willing to admit, I mean, we can't even have an agreement on what the FBI said was disinformation. How do you propose that you're going to have an office of disinformation governance if you see the problem in even determining what is disinformation? Oh, Senator, because um, our work is not um, focused on disinformation writ large. Where we, the Department of Homeland Security, become involved is when there's a connectivity between disinformation and threats to the security of the homeland. Let me well, that's what well, the Russians and, might be considered that. And, you mentioned the Russians the other day when you tried to pivot away from this being about censorship. But let's say it is the Russians. I know you're not going to ever agree that the Steele dossier, which y'all spent so much money on, was disinformation. But it was, and the FBI concluded. But let's just say there's an imaginary disinformation. You've discovered tomorrow Russian disinformation that's going to hurt our national security. And CNN's broadcasting it. What are you going to do? Mm. Senator, let me... You're going to tell Putin... You shouldn't do this. Senator, Senator, what are you going to do? Senator, let me, let me explain what we do in the Department of Homeland Security with respect to disinformation. Please do. And frankly, what we've been doing for nearly 10 years across different administrations. The cartels, the cartels propagate disinformation that Title 42 does not apply to a particular community of migrants, migrants from a particular country. How are they propagating do, this? If I may, through social media. And what yeah. we do through U.S. Customs and Border Protection is actually communicate via social media and other channels that that is false, that we do apply Title 42. So let's say there's Russian disinformation as well. Are you going to take to social media and broadcast that people are broadcasting something incorrect about what do you think is Russian disinformation? Uh, Senator, let me emphasize... Well, you said the other day Russians, and now you're saying not so much the Russians, you're saying the cartels. No, I'm not. No, I'm you not. You just Senator, did. You're, you're mischaracterizing well, my statement. Then what are you going to do if there's Russian disinformation? You're going to broadcast me, something on social media? Allow me to share... The data. ...when we become oh. involved in the Department of Homeland Security. We become involved when disinformation poses a threat to the security of our country. It is when there's a connectivity to th a threat to our country. It could be a threat, a connectivity to violence. And what this, what this working group does, uh, what this working group does is precisely what I would think you would want it to do, which is to take a look at the work, the disinformation work that our department has done and, and ask the, the following questions. Do we have policies? Do we have guardrails? Do we have yeah, standards? But here's the problem. Ensure, we can't even agree. We can't even me. agree what disinformation is. This is you well, can't even agree that it was disinformation, that the Russians fed information to the Steele dossier. If you can't agree to that, how are we ever going to come to an agreement on what is disinformation so you can police it on social media? Yep. Senator, I have two points, if I may uh, finish. Um, uh, number one that what this office, what the, I'm sorry, what this working group does, because it's not an office, Did what I this say working, office? Group I does working group does is ensure that there are guardrails, definitions, Isn't it called standards, the office of whatever to make pronouns? sure that the free speech rights, the civil rights, yeah. civil liberties, and privacy rights 
of individuals. So do you think? Do you think COVID? Do you think COVID? Do you think COVID? Do you think COVID disinformation threatens our national security? And number two, if I may, Senator, and number two, is it your proposition that when the cartels spread disinformation with respect to our immigration policies to try to lure? vulnerable migrants to our border illegally? I think you've got no idea what disinformation is, and I don't think the government's capable of it. Do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Fact. Are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Let me guess. Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I mean, think of all the debates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speech. Mm. You think we can't determine, you know, speech by traffickers is disinformation? You think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with a steel dossier. I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. So I do have a question, and here's the question. So the Russians, maybe the Russians, maybe some cartels. What about COVID disinformation? Is that in your bailiwick for your, dis- your disinformation governance board? Senator, you would have to give me the details. With Okay, here. I, I, I've, said a million time, I've said a million times that cloth masks don't work. YouTube takes me down. They're a private company. I can have that beef with them. Uh, what about you? You're going to look at that. I often say that natural immunity from having had the infection is equal to the vaccine or better. You're going to take that down? Mm. There, there, well, first of all, it's, those are very specific. Senator, first of all, it's not for us to take it down. And second of all, are you going to put information not, out there are, saying that I'm spreading disinformation? Uh, 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 Senator, we are not the public health experts to make those determinations. So public health won't be part of the disinformation governance board. No COVID disinformation. Yes or no? Senator. Yes or no? Is public health going to be part of your censorship group? Somebody, allow me, because Mm. you're you're presenting hypotheticals that are vague and... I just gave you a very specific one on cloth masks. I gave you a very specific one on immunity from previous infections. I answered your question, but let me me answer the the last question that you posed. Do not, do not, under any circumstances, accept the vaccine at a FEMA uh, overseen vaccination center mm. because they are actually peddling fentanyl. Now, should what? I sit back and take that or should I actually disseminate accurate information? That's what we're doing, what we would do. S- uh, should FEMA issue accurate information that the vaccinations that we are administering in the sites that we oversee actually are the COVID-19 vaccines. I have, I have a have greater respect for the American people that's than all, you do. I think the point. American people can figure out the truth. And if you think the American people need to be told there's not fentanyl in the vaccination, feel free to say it. But the thing is, is if you are going to go around saying that you are the arbiter of information and of disinformation, I think you have no clue. I've never you don't that. have the perspective history knowing that disinformation, the largest progenitor of disinformation in our history has probably been the U.S. government. I've I've never said that, and actually I've said the exact opposite. Thank you, sir. We are not the truth police. Mm. Mm. Isn't that what your new thing is going to be, though, the truth police? The Ministry of Truth Police? (laughs) 
like I love how he jumps to like just the most retarded example. Oh, uh, don't go to the FEMA vaccine places because there's fentanyl in it. Why don't you answer the question about the cloth mass and natural immunity? Because those are the kind of things that are going to get censored. They keep trying to tie this whole thing to, like, the cartels and stuff, too. Like, listen, nothing the cartels do outside of the United States has any effect on anything in the immigration that's going on in the United States. Like, how are they going to combat Yeah, they're making plenty plenty of money without having to lie to somebody about Title 42 applying to them or not. Well, how do do they go and and say they're going to counter the cartel's misinformation by making the United States citizens aware of the misinformation that they're disseminating in other countries. Like, it doesn't affect anything. You don't need a whole governance board to do that. So there's going to be, like, you know, the cartel's Instagram is going to be, like, El Chapo's Instagram or whatever, just using him as a a name. Mm -hmm. And then what is, uh, is Mayorkas going to start his own? Counter Instagram? Counter Instagram, like El Chupo. So so you're saying like El Chapo would be saying, come to the United States, they're letting everybody in, and then what is the answer to that going to be? Um, well, no, we're uh, not. Actually, El Chapo, I have... Don't come. If you would allow me to answer the question, I answered your first one, allow me to... And you're presenting hypotheticals, you're saying everybody come, are you talking about... The cartel uh, member's time has expired. <laughs> so that that's kind of where we're at. We gave you the whole clip for effect because I just wanted to... Let you know that Rand Paul is still at the top of his game and gave him a Fauci-like beatdown. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas did not cry as much as Dr. Fauci it's does. It's got to be so difficult for them to sit there and just have to just, like, mentally pedal around all this bullshit. It's like, oh, how am I not going to answer this? Like, I mean, you know he's got cue cards with specific, like, things that he's going to use. But, like, like how are you just going to dodge to this? Like, that was like a Joe Biden example. Yeah, you're gonna go in the thing, and there's you know, see if you're on cocaine, and it's like there's fentanyl in the shots. It's this is ridiculous. It was bad. You know what? If I was if I was the House and Senate, I wouldn't approve either one of their budgets. I would make them shut this shit down until they get it together. However, at the very least, we're six months ish away from not having to deal with Alejandro Mayor because I do feel like if he does not step down from his job. Before the midterm elections. And move to a non-extradition country. He will be the first person to get impeached in the Biden administration, even before they try to do anything with Joe Biden. Um, if you actually get successfully impeached from something like that, does it affect, is it like getting fired from a job? Does it kind of carry the same weight, like, oh, you'll never work in government again, or is he just going to be fine? I mean, he's an elderly gentleman. He'll write a memoir about how he completely ruined CIS and uh. then parlayed that into the destruction of the mother agency, Department of Homeland Security, and what would be his two years of governance over the Umbrella Association. The um- Umbrella Academy. Corporation? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but we'll keep an eye on it. I, I don't know if they're done with him, if there's anywhere else for him to go. I'm, I'm sure he needs a vacation. I'm and, done with him. Yeah, so so am I. After the last week of uh, getting his ass kicked, up on Capitol Hill. Do you think there's like coaches? Like there's like a Rudy scene before he goes out? Like, <laughs> or like that one guy from the, he used to play on the Jacksonville Jaguars that like to get slapped before he ran out of the tunnel. Yeah. Like, uh, do you think he's got an earpiece in? No. He's been around government too long. I know it's, he's just the slimiest of the slimy. Yeah. I mean, cause Biden would definitely had an earpiece in a lot of those times, but. I just can't imagine, like... Maybe he's got the Neuralink. 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Things that we won't be talking about with our first guest, though, is definitely Neuralink. Um, she's getting ready to jump in first. She is a former Trump White House advisor uh, with a specialty in economics. And she's the host of This Is Your Country podcast, which is pretty amazing. It's going to be Miss Paige Willie joining us, and we'll let her audio key up. All right, joining us first on the show today, she is the host of This Is Your Country, pretty fire podcast. In addition to that, Firebrand Pack and former Trump White House advisor. Paige Willie, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Happy to. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. No, it's our pleasure. You know, we've been talking behind the scenes now for a little bit and, and kind of <laughs> got, got this done and getting to know you has been a, a pleasure. Listening to your podcast is extremely informative. And uh, how are things going with you? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for giving it your time. Uh, we just launched my podcast a couple of weeks ago, so it's really nice to hear you say that. Um, we try to make it worth people's time with a lot of um, informative nuggets and sort of behind the scene answers to why our country faces so much dysfunction sometimes. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. I'm here in Dallas, Texas, where I moved after working in the Trump administration. So um, yeah, great to be in Texas and great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule and we know it is busy. Let's stay in that thread real quick though. You were a former Trump White House advisor. Why don't you talk about your role while you were in the administration, exactly what you did in, in the context of your job? Absolutely. Happy to. So working in President Trump's White House was actually my second job ever. I had just graduated college in 2016 and I was work working as a research assistant at a think tank. And then um, I was one of the few and far between people in Washington, D.C. who voted for President Trump, wanted him to win, thought he would win and was really enthusiastic once he got to the White House. So my first job there was um in the Council of Economic Advisors, which is the part of the White House that furnishes the president and other folks making decisions with um, with really specific data about the economy. So we studied everything pertaining to the economy, GDP, wages, energy prices, inflation, um, job openings, turnover, you name it. And one thing that was really um, obviously, President Trump really cared about the economy. I think that was one of the things that he was you know, elected with um, a really significant mandate to fix and to focus on. Um, he obviously cared a lot about trade. So we studied trade imbalances and trade deals and tariffs and things. Um, but working at that part of the White House, which is a less well-known one because it really is, it's less political, it's more academic, it's really focused on the quality of the data and making sure that the president has what he needs to make decisions about the economy. So um, we, one way that we um, realized we could be of most help to um, President Trump in his decision-making was um, helping furnish him with data uh, focused on the areas that he was really concerned about. So that was blue collar workers, the manufacturing sector, um, you know, people, Americans without a high school degree, Americans without a college degree. He really, really, really was interested in helping elevate those groups. He was obviously interested in helping elevate everyone, but he really was sensitive to the needs of people who had a harder time succeeding. So um, that was the work at CEA. And then I moved to a different part of the White House about halfway through the administration of the Office of Political Affairs, where I was Ooh. advising more specifically, uh, you know, policymaking, communications and things like that. Well, that sounds like a lot of stuff to kind of wrap your brain around, especially like you said, it was your <laughs> it was your second real job. And then you're in the midst of like one of the most productive but controversial uh, presidencies in the history of the republic, right. probably. And, and, you know, I'm sure. It wasn't something that uh, at times was very pleasurable. But if you look at the, all the work we got done for the American men and women of this country, especially the blue collar workers and families, you can't 
You can't really debate it. You know, I saw yesterday, and it's such a shame that the Senate voted to roll back some of the Trump-era policies in regards to the China tariffs. And uh, I, I just don't understand where we're at right now with the economy and, and all these things going on. You know, we're half a trillion dollars in debt to China every year, and that amount continues to grow, especially after all the crap that went down with coronavirus. And then we're rolling back the taxes that does nothing but benefit the American people. And, uh, you know, after last month's negative deficit of like $135 billion in the trade department, it's just a shame to see, you know, a lot of these things. We we had Dr. Navarro on a couple months ago. I was actually just talking to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her, Erica Knight. She's one of the people she works with, Cash Patel, Dr. Navarro. Uh, she's Adam Lexalt's campaign. She's there. And, and he's getting ready to roll out his new book in September. So he's going to be joining us soon. Uh, but, you know, he, he was just brilliant in some of his economic strategies and some of the stuff he was able to help President Trump get across the finish line over the course of the four years that he worked in the office. And, and you look at all the ways that they've just kind of out of it seems like nothing but spite tried to erase the Trump legacy. It, it, it's a sad thing to see. That's really well said, actually, especially the point you make that after um, our country was so vulnerable to our, you know, our manufacturing base being located in China that was exposed, you know, to everyone uh, in our country during the pandemic. And so, as you say, you would, I, I actually, I personally thought that this would be a sort of fundamental vindication in the eyes of the public that we need to have a strong manufacturing base here. We need to get tough on, you know, with whatever measures necessary on bringing it back to this country. And that's one tool, or tariffs are one tool to do that. And so seeing Congress just sort of ignore the lessons of the past, I mean, you could even say 20 or 30 years about the vulnerabilities, the impact on American jobs. Um, it, I mean, you have to wonder who these people are making decisions on behalf of when they could have this this easy case study that justifies whatever you know their corporate masters may be asking for saying no 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 you know roll back the trump tariffs please um they could just easily point to the pandemic and say you know thanks for the input but it really is time you know to do this on behalf of the people we need to keep the tariffs and here they are lying to the public saying we have to roll back the tariffs because it's making inflation worse. I mean, this is so transparently dishonest. It's so transparently destructive. I just, I wish I had something more positive to say, but I share your frustration. You make good points. <laughs> no, it, it, it's the truth. And, you know, it's not even like it's an echo chamber. It's just you go down the laundry list of things that are negatively affecting this country right now, the energy, non-independence, gas prices, and, and what it costs to heat your home, the empty shelves, and the way the economies. Just absolutely destroyed. You know, this current administration has taken credit for basically letting people go back to work after coronavirus and saying they're creating jobs. Um, you know, we saw the stock market. All of us future retirees took, mm. a, took a really big, you know, 10-ish percent hit in the wallet in the last two days. I don't even look anymore. Yeah, and I don't want to look. It's, it's, it's scary. <laughs> And then, you know, we no, I'm, I'm just laughing at you saying I don't even look anymore. I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Um, but, oh, but I will also say we I want to congratulate some of our senators. Like I think it was Marco Rubio and Senator Cotton and Senator Hawley who were trying to raise the alarm about how we need to keep some of these uh, China tariffs. They were really trying to be a voice for saying, you know, stop hiding behind the fake excuse of inflation. We really need to get tough on this issue because it is about the welfare of the American people. Yeah. And then when you wrap that all up around a disastrous foreign policy from top to bottom, everything from Afghanistan to currently what's going on with Russia, let, let's have a, a negative $135 billion trade deficit in the month of April and then go and tell Congress we need to send more weapons and $33 billion. 
you know, I did the math. We're at 12.25 border walls worth of money that we sent to Ukraine since the start of this conflict in just 73 days. Mm. So that's a really good way to put it, because if you'll remember, um, even, you know, when President Trump was campaigning in 2015 and 2016, they would always sit him down in these really silly interviews and say, oh, how could you say we need to build a wall? These experts say it will cost $20 billion. And it's like, that is such a small down payment on solving the fentanyl problem, solving the illegal immigration problem, solving the public services that get used for people who aren't even citizens of this country. And I think that the way you put that is actually a a really, it's a strong point. I mean, you got to make it as simple as you can. You talk about all these numbers and where it's going and weapons and, and defense systems and all this stuff, logistics of it. And then you just break it down into border walls. Yeah. So <laughs> it seems to be pretty good. It's like a pie chart, but made out of bricks. Another t-shirt. <laughs> I'm telling you, we, we're eventually got to get a, a, a merch store. Paige, what are you doing now? You know, I, we, we told our listenership that you're the host of This Is Your Country, which is your current podcast. But you, you did tell us offline before we started that you had a real job, which is would be your third, correct? <laughs> So why don't you let our listenership know what you're doing now to help the uh, America First movement? That's great. Yes, I work for an organization called New Founding, and we're based in Dallas, Texas. And we invest in alternative technology, media, and um, and finance for basically in contrary to the left's hold on all of these domains of American society. So we call ourselves a venture organization. We look for ideas to support and to grow. Um, For example, lots of Americans want to buy American. They want to, when they spend money, our slogan is don't buy from people who hate you. And so we try to be um, a source for guidance and a source for um, building up that type of business in this country with venture, with growth equity or other um, elements that we can use to help grow those businesses. We run a uh, large newsletter um, in that vein called Align, where people can sign up to get these business recommendations and to contribute their recommendations and so on. Um, and we also grow uh, pro-American media projects. And so that's where my podcast comes in called This Is Your Country. And uh, we also have an affiliated uh, super PAC called American Firebrand, where we put out strong pro-American messaging to try and nudge the political right towards where we think we need to go, you know, taking a note from President Trump's sort of um, deeply pro-American, profoundly um, disruptive rhetoric saying we deserve uh, better for our people, we demand better for our people. So we have a lot of exciting things going on in that regard. We basically are, um, we see the necessity for a lot of new infrastructure from business to media to technology to propel um, the pro-American movement forward. Yeah, it's something that we definitely need a lot more of in this country right now. It's good to see that, you know, there's people behind the scenes that are really not only promoting, but empowering uh, the things that you just mentioned to help that America First movement, not just have physical human bodies, but everything from, you know, social media and technology all the way down to ground games and campaigns and stuff when uh, that we definitely need to help with the midterm elections just around the corner. We're already, like, in the midst of primary season. Um, I like the don't buy things from people that hate you. <laughs> oh, like we tell people not to donate money to Ronald McDaniel and the, the GOP anymore? <laughs> no, but, well, yeah, but, you know, well, they do if hate, you actually they do go out, us. yeah, they do hate us. If you actually go out and consciously try to buy American, it's really, really difficult. Very difficult. That's right. And I've harped on this a few times, I think, but I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. And I think there should be rules on certain things. Like, I mean, can we just not make American flags in China? 
can we not allow, (laughs) yeah, can we not allow people to do this cop out where they say, excuse me, designed in America, assembled in China? Uh, Well, yeah. And and you put a big, you know, three by five American flag on the package and people see it and they go, oh, cool. Made made in USA. And then you read this, the fine print and it's like designed here. And, you know, we, we mentioned this a few shows ago. That basically means that some idiot drew a picture on a cocktail napkin at the bar took a picture of it, emailed it to some guy in China who then made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just frustrating. I just don't, I don't feel like that's right. I, I, yes, I appreciate, I appreciate the way you put that too, because, you know, people call me an idealist, but I really just think that if, if you had, if, if people thought about this properly, it really would not be that hard to fix some of these things that a really bother a huge percentage of people in this country and B are really, they pertain to the welfare of the nation. Yep. So think about this. If you had, you know, the people doing their jobs in Congress saying, let's keep the tariffs. And then you had, you know, the business community in this country saying, Hmm, maybe it's time to build up our own country. Now, if you had the one, two punch of, you know, tariffs that that sort of forced businesses to make things here if they wanted to sell them to people in this country. And number two, investors who focused that capital all across this country in resurgence of manufacturing and resurgence of really high technology things. It doesn't have to be these sort of, you know, like what, what people think of when they think of the industrialist, you know, polluters or, you know, robber barons or whatever. If we focused both of those elements, policy and private investment, on making our country stronger, on making our country um, something that, you know, improving these industries to be something we can be proud of again. I don't think it would be that hard. You just, these people won't do it. You know, what are they doing? Well, it makes a whole lot of sense. Well, they're getting the kickbacks. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it sounds like, Paige, you are all ready for January 21st, 2025 already. So (laughs) getting ahead of the game. Speaking of the game and the man who's at the top of it right now, uh, there was an event this past weekend at Mar-a-Lago. You were in attendance. I saw through several of my friends' social medias. Uh, you were taking some pictures with them at the event. Well, you want to tell our listenership what was going on down there? Absolutely. So at Mar-a-Lago uh, on Wednesday was the premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's new movie called 2000 Mules. And um, this effort to demonstrate the extent of malfeasance in the election, the extent of subversion and manipulation is so, so, so important. And I, one thing that frustrates me is when Republicans act as though election integrity is some type of fringe issue that only their most extreme GOP voters care about. Election integrity really matters. If people lose faith that their vote will be counted in a significant way, that their vote will be, that their elections will be conducted properly, you are living in a third world country before you know it. Mm -hmm. And this was something, this again, this is not a fringe viewpoint. This is something that justices on the Supreme Court have pointed to when the Supreme Court has failed to take some of these um, election fraud cases seriously, is that they they have noted, Justice Thomas noted um, that, It is one of the most profound questions in our country today is whether we can trust elections as a mechanism of recourse and accountability or if they are going to be gone and subverted forever. And so that that is where I want to commend, you know, Dinesh D'Souza for making this this film, showing, making the case, the substantial case of things that raise a lot of serious questions about the 2020 election. Um, I want to commend people who've done a lot of research on the sort of the role of players like Mark Zuckerberg, where their money was going to potentially compromise causes that affected the election unfairly. These are 
some of the most serious questions that we can answer for people, both Republican and Democrat in America today, election integrity should not be a partisan issue. And it's really not. I mean, do you have a country or not? Do you have recourse or not? If you don't, you don't have democracy. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a whole lot of sense. And, uh, you know, if you really get into the logistics of that movie and you just look at all the other components, there's a lot of stuff that people speculate that happened in the, in the 2020 presidential election, everything from like servers being hacked to, you know, every, every kind of accusation <clears throat> possible. But if you just look at the actual facts, all right, Dinesh D'Souza's movie right. is now a fact. So you can factor in mules in like the blue wall states in addition to places like Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada. That definitely happened. There's documented evidence, physical evidence of people doing this stuff. Then you talk about the historical fraud that happens commonly in places like the greater Atlanta area and Philadelphia and places like that. That always happens. It's always been an issue. It's been talked about at every election since Reagan's been in office and it'll probably continue to be because the worst people run those things and they don't let people who aren't on the team in to oversight them. Um, in addition to that, you have the Facebook component. That yeah. is also a documented fact, you know, uh, almost $500 million to do whatever Mark Zuckerberg did in the blue wall states and then some stuff in Georgia as well. Which technically should be illegal because Facebook is really acting as an arm of the government at this point. More and more states are making those types of Zuckerberg contributions illegal. Yep. Um, I, I, I think Wisconsin was trying, Pennsylvania was trying. I'm not up to date on the status of where those laws are now, but they looked at that and they said, this is an intolerable level of interference by mm -hmm. a private individual who is able to um, you know, infuse cash in certain strategic areas um, to support outcomes that he wants and to tamp down outcomes that he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the other side of that is that when, when President Trump was looking down the pike at the 2020 election, you know, this was in spring and summer, as more and more reporters would ask him things like, um, do you think that we need to be, you know, having a, a stronger mail-in ballot presence because of the because because of COVID, because of the pandemic? Do you think that they were trying to bait him yep. to say certain things? Like this was clearly on their minds. If you go back and look at the press conferences from that time, March, April, May, and June of 2020, as as you know, the, the pandemic was um, becoming their current thing. And I, what was really reprehensible was so many Republicans from the GOP apparatus to elected elected officials were leaving President Trump alone to speak out on this issue, to say when you have floods of mail-in ballots, it really is a, a potential a risk for the integrity of the election. And they would they were letting him flap in the wind out alone on that issue. And if we had come out strongly on that issue and, and been voices for election integrity all across the Republican Party, things probably would have looked a little different. And you would you wouldn't have had all of this mess about, you know, all these states making um laws or changing election law unilaterally through some of their state officials, through their governors, their secretaries of state, which is contrary to the constitution. It is illegal. It is not, they are not allowed to do it. And the, the GOP was nowhere to be found. No. And they didn't have any spine afterwards. I mean, we've had so many people on this show that have worked in the administration or, or who worked on some of the stop the steal legal cases uh, directly thereafter, who just said, you know, I went down to Georgia. I think it was, um, was it Patrick Witt? He went down to Georgia. He he worked in the administration, and as soon as he hit the ground game, you know, he's all expecting to get into what, what happened down there with the elections and stuff like that and, and the work with the governor's office and the secretary of state, and all of a sudden they're directing him and all the money to the Loeffler and Purdue Senate runoff. Uh, you know, Christina Bob worked directly uh, with Doug Mastriano and that whole team, Rudy Giuliani up there in Pennsylvania, and they said, you know, it was it, it was almost the same thing. It was such a disarray and no, no communication coming from – the GOP back in Washington and 
eventually it led to whatever, you know, what happened. Apparently Joe, Joe Biden, the mail-in part was the only part that I did. And I'm glad Paige jumped in and mentioned it that eventually got him to 80 million votes, mm-hmm. which, which eclipses <laughs> Barack Obama's like 64 million votes by a lot. Right. And the yeah, for a president that, that people to... actually liked. Yeah. <laughs> right. One thing I try to explain is possession is nine tenths of the law, right? Like that's how the statement goes. And so the, the left knows that if, if they can, you know, wash, you know, flood things with this wash of mail in ballots, it's a mess that's impossible to sort out. And it's, you know, signatures are impossible to verify where, which indigent home did this come from? You know, who was, who was a certified helper with it? They know that once you've got it done, it's really hard to undo. So that's why I, I emphasize that when president Trump was being a visionary on this topic, when he was sounding the alarm saying, this is going nowhere good because it is impossible to uphold the integrity of the election. He was saying this six months in advance and no one was, you know, offering resources, offering counsel, offering help to say, to defend, to defend the, the rights of the American people to have a properly conducted election. And when, by the time you're litigating all on the back end, you are already screwed. It's like the, the way I say it also with the illegal immigration issue is that by the time you've got millions of people living here illegally, it is very, very, very hard to get the will of Congress to say, you know, we need to have, you know, resources dedicated towards getting people who are here illegally out of this country, ensuring that they're not exploiting the resources of the American people. In the left's mind, as I say, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Once they have it done, it is really, really hard to undo. You need to do it on the front end, not the back end. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely something we talk to our listenership about and how a lot of people just don't understand. They keep saying all these numbers anywhere from, you know, to Donald Trump was saying like, up to 10 million by the time this administration is done, people are going to come in the country. The improbable task of removing any of those people from the country, it's, it's trying to put toothpaste back in the, in the bottle. It just doesn't right. happen. So comprehensive immigration reform, uh, sealing our border and doing all that stuff. You know, there's great people running in the Senate right now, which is, I want to segue uh, with you page and talk about the midterm elections, you know, talking about uh, immigration moratoriums and stuff like that. But all of these people that are coming in under the Biden administration Virtually impossible to remove them from the United States. That's just the legal fact of the matter. We and don't then if to, they're here long enough to, you know, pop out a kid or two. Then it's definitely over. Yeah. So because there's your sponsor. Um, we did see, you know, with the Ohio primary that just happened last week, a huge referendum on not only the uh, Biden administration, but the establishment GOP. Uh, Donald Trump went 22-0, I believe, between Ohio and Indiana with his endorsements and picks, and I believe is 55-0 on the primary season, and we're just getting out of the gates right now. Um, For someone who, you know, is for the nationalist populist movement, how do you feel to see such great come together by the America First group to kind of get everything that we need to get this country going in the right direction um, really start rolling? Great question. And I love how you framed it as a referendum on the establishment GOP. Um, they're, <laughs> I really think they're quaking in their boots right now. Um, so two points on that. One is our super PAC American Firebrand just put out a video, a sort of victory lap on behalf of um, not behalf, on behalf of any specific candidate, but on behalf of the America First movement. And this video is called, this is the MAGA party now. And we were making fun of how Joe Biden said that as if it was some scary, horrible thing. He said, you know, this ain't your grandfather's Republican party. This is the MAGA party now. And we're like, darn right it is, Joe. I mean, you've got voters all over the country ready to 
take their country back. They are sick of the exploitation. They are sick of the abuse. They want people who will make our country amazing again. And so that's point number one is I think our, our video did a really nice job of sort of both sticking it to Joe Biden and the establishment GOP that desperately, desperately wants to go back to business as usual, extraction and plundering of the wealth of the American people so that um, they can be left alone to do what they do best, which is make our country worse. Yep. And then um, secondly, I, I, I address this on my podcast, This Is Your Country, quite a bit, which is that there is nothing the establishment GOP hates more than a disruptive candidate who actually gives GOP voters a voice. You can see this um, in the way they, they talk to the press saying they really want, you know, often they do this anonymously because they're too cowardly to put their own names to it because they know it would make them, uh, you know, persona non grata. But <laughs> They, there's nothing they wished for more than President Trump to just disappear from the yep. scene. They, 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 they are almost in. They're deeply sympathetic to the left's desire to silence President Trump, to deplatform President Trump, because they say it themselves. Like they will say this anonymously in interviews with outlets like Politico. They will say um, it'll create headaches for us if he's back on Twitter. Um, it will make our lives harder if he's back on the political scene. And th- to me. This shows that they are closer to um, the Biden version of America, which is they, they're content with what's happening. They don't want disruptive candidates than they are with, with President Trump's version of America, which was, um, you know, give voters a voice and make our country better. Yeah, it, it's pretty clear to see that. Uh, well, if your team's winning, you don't want to bring in the ringer. Yeah, but even if your team's losing, like the Republicans have been for the last little while, it's like, do you really want to bring in the guy that makes us go out and do all the hard things that we don't want to do anymore? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, and, and, and listen, we saw that the first two years with uh, all of the holdovers from the Obama administration working in the administrative state in the Department of Homeland Security and the DOJ. No thanks to uh, our great friend. Uh, Paul Ryan, who's probably the worst speaker of the House besides Nancy Pelosi ever. And, and then you rolled that into impeachment volume one and two in the in the back end with a little bit sprinkling of covid um, to do everything they can <laughs> to, to stymie the, the Trump agenda. But he got so much stuff done. And it looks like like he always says in his rallies, the journey has literally just begun. Um, I think when you talk about all those points, Paige, the biggest concern right there is leadership. Uh, we all know how Donald Trump feels about. Mitch McConnell, he calls him the old crow. He says his time is short and all this other stuff. I'm really hoping that somebody like, you know, Rick Scott, who put out that 11-point plan for America, which basically embodied all of the Trump-era policies and and, and pillars of, of his presidency, will give him a little bit of run for his money. We know Rick Scott probably eventually wants to run for president, and uh, he set up kind of a national apparatus of fundraising and offices that I think is going to be able to take Mitch McConnell to task, especially if some of the senators that Mitch McConnell does not want to get into the Senate get in, like J.D. Vance, like um, Eric Greitens, uh, Adam Lexalt in, in Nevada. All these people are, are directly connected to Trump, and, and those ties are so strong. I definitely think in the House, though, there, there's a little bit more concern. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is probably the best money-making machine in the history of all politics. Uh, through three quarters, it was announced just a few weeks ago that he had raked in already $104 million this year. And one of our concerns is, even with those leaked takes that, that came out recently about after January 6th and impeaching him and all this other stuff, that people are scared to deal with the, what happens if I don't beat him and ch- in a challenge? That means I'm not going to be on any committees, none of my legislation will ever get passed. I'll essentially be a lame duck House representative, even if it's a strong one, like let's just say Jim Jordan, which we hear 
from a lot of people connected to Washington, D.C. right now, people are trying to build like a back room coalition and have him kind of be the front of it. Like, well, we're all going to put our hands on you, Jim, to stand up to Kevin McCarthy and kind of split this vote. But you're going to be the guy that's actually going to be like the speaker speaker. We're not going to have like, you know, a bullpen of speakers. What do you think about House and Senate leadership and, and, and what direction we need to go in? At the end of the day, even if you like Kevin McCarthy, like not you, Paige, but just people in general, as like someone who's established, brings in the money, takes care of the party, he's not America first. Um, you know, you said it, the disruptors, Joe Kent's a regular on the show. He's been on with us five times already. And he, he comes on our show all the time and talks about how he's got receipts. Kevin McCarthy's sending money to his primary challenger to try and not let him be the, the House representative from Washington 3. I don't think you can get more America first than Joe Kent. And if that's how Kevin McCarthy feels about these kind of candidates, you can only, I mean, he's done the same thing with Robbie Starbuck down in Tennessee. And uh, we know Kevin McCarthy gives Anthony Sabatini running in Florida 7, who's an amazing America first candidate, a hard time as well. So what's your whole take on the whole thing? And then how do you feel about House and Senate leadership? Sure. So talented politicians should be sensitive to and attuned to the demands of their voters. And I think that um, you have a lot of interest in um, among some of the people you mentioned in um, in putting pulling this all together in a way where they can govern in a way where they can make people happy. And I think that um, the biggest lesson from history to learn is that when, as you you mentioned, Paul Ryan, mm -hmm. one person that I like to mention on my podcast is John Boehner. Sure. And so these are case studies. Um, Paul Ryan and John Boehner are case studies of failed. Republican leadership. And I think that those are examples that should stay fresh in the minds of anyone seeking to be um, leadership in the Republican Party right now, because those were um, do nothing duds who did not manage to represent their voters effectively, who did not manage to um, advance um, promises that they had made to voters. And in many ways, they both set the movement back and they created the conditions for further disruptive candidates like President Trump. Yep. Um, and you'll remember um, John Boehner also had a lot of clashes with um, populist uh, Tea Partier uh, Michelle Bachman, who is a real hero for a lot of these issues. And I think that those should be instructive lessons for Republican leadership, which is that you will draw these types of challenges if you do not represent voters effectively. It is it is the as I say that uh, I, I like to quote President Trump, the truth is a force of nature. And if you cannot manage to um, to represent people effectively, then there will be challenges. That's just the way politics goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy to see, you know, things are moving so fast and, uh, you know, a lot of people understand too. I, I see people get like nitty picky with some of the, you know, people that Donald Trump endorsed, like there has to be everybody on the kind of the same ideology. And then there's like levels to it. You have to have people that are going to be able to talk <laughs> to like certain other leaders and, and reach over to the other side of the aisles. I mean, there's a huge difference between somebody like, let's just say Eric Greitens and Dr. Oz when it comes to like how America first they are, but they also right. come from like literally different backgrounds. Dr. Oz has been, you know, having a medical TV show for like the last, you know, 15 years and 15 years ago, Eric Greitens was probably shooting people in the head in some third world country, like in Northern Africa. Yeah. And that's just, you know, okay. different stuff that they bring to the table. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that as this continues to go forward and you made an excellent reference to, to Boehner and then of course with Paul Ryan, I hope we don't make the same mistake in the house. Um, you know, there's a lot of qualified candidates. There's a lot of America first candidates who are really, populist nationalists who can step up and, and probably give him a challenge and get the votes in as long as things continue to go well for President Trump. And I guess 
I'm going to have to quote President Trump myself and say, let's just see what happens. So, <laughs> so true. I was actually, <laughs> I was, I okay, I'm like a simp for President Trump. So, um, you know, just excuse me, but um, I do spend a lot of time sometimes going back to um, rolling the tape, as I say, looking back on some of his hits um, from 2015 and 2016. And I think it was Vice News who actually tried, or maybe it was the Huffington Post, I can't remember, but they put together this hilarious compilation of President Trump saying, you're going to see what's, what will happen, or you'll see, we'll see what happens. And they put together this hilarious compilation of him saying it over and over and over again. And I just, I just, I really miss his energy. I miss his sort of um, Trumpisms, and I think that a lot of people they really just want um, they want someone to be a voice for them again. They want his you know his sense of humor, his energy, his responsiveness to the moment. And um, I'm just laughing at you know both of us sort of quoting these Trumpisms because I think people miss him. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, you- then you can't wait for you know the compilation of let's see what happens, and then when we actually <laughs> see what happens. It'll be hopefully a whole lot better and things are going right now. Just add that to the end of the video and be like, okay, done. Now it's done. Yeah. I mean, there was probably a little bit of a hangover period following the election, all the stuff that fell out from there, us getting out of COVID and then seeing what the Biden administration is going to do. But now that we've put, you know, over a year and a half under our belts, the American people are just absolutely sick and tired of it. They, they, you can't find somebody walking the streets who will openly admit that they not only voted for but continue to support Joe Biden. They show those polls on TV where he's like (laughs) at like 40% and I'm just like, who? And, Where? And, and if they do admit it, there are those people that you can like see the whites of their eyes all the way around. Like, yeah, like crazy I mean, people. Savannah Hernandez has gone into like Los Angeles and San Francisco in the last two it's weeks. Ridiculous. But then Flecka went down to, to New Orleans um, for his show last yeah. week and he, he did Flecka's on the street. He was in New Orleans and you couldn't find anybody. He found two guys from who were Dutch who were like, oh, yeah, we like Joe Biden. It's a lot better. Like the international stage likes him because he doesn't like go crazy when they like, have their <laughs> meetings. And I was like, you went to New Orleans. Oh, I'm thinking of a different video. And this was just, do you like Joe Biden? Oh, no. And, and people were like, like Joe mm. Biden? Like people are driving by in the car and they're like honking their horns and like flipping them off. Nice. So, <laughs> and, and, and that's in a place where, you know, apparently Joe Biden got 100% of the vote. Um, so it, it, it's just crazy to see. What's even going to be crazier to see is the rest of this primary season and uh, just how America first we're going to be heading into, you know, after the midterms when Donald Trump eventually makes his announcement. He wouldn't be out stumping so hard for all these candidates. I mean, I think besides Easter weekend, he's done every single Friday, Saturday or Sunday has a Save America rally for the last three months already. So you can't beat it. He's back at the forefront. The the hangover from the 2020 presidential election is over, and and this country's ready to get back on the right track. So he even brought out the Jumbotron with him last week in Nebraska and showed Joe Biden getting all locked up on um, Russian, what is it, kleptocracies? (laughs) That was a great one. So we'll just have to see what happens. What we want to see happen, too, Paige, is now that you're obviously a great friend of the show and, and, and definitely endorsed Steak for Breakfast podcast, we want to direct all of our listenership to yours, who we've equally endorsed, so they can listen to all the stuff that you've got going on. Um, why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you and anywhere across social medias that you want people to uh, check you out? Oh, that's very kind of you. Um, guys, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Um, for those interested, my podcast is called This Is Your Country, and you can find it on Apple or Spotify um, and a couple others. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Midwesterner. It's uh, The ending is E-U-R, like entrepreneur, Midwesterner. And, um, and on Instagram at page underscore underscore Willie. I like it. And uh, you can bet your bottom dollar we're going to be inviting you back at some point in the future because we like chatting with you today. This is the host... <laughs> of This Is Your Country podcast, former Trump White House advisor, and a true American revivalist. Paige Willie, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. So fun to be on. Take care.
coming in now is one of our great friends. He's returning to the show, I think, for a third or fourth time. It's definitely not enough. We need to we need to amplify the amount of times he's getting on this show. And uh, joining us again from the great state of New York, Andrew McCarthy. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me, man. Like you said, I need a, I need a guest spot here weekly or something like that. We'll work something out. We wouldn't say no to that, to be, to, to be honest with you. We love having <laughs> you on. You got some pretty base takes, and uh, you've become a great friend of the show over the last year. How's everything going with you? Everything's good, man. I'm in decompression mode uh, from from political activity as a candidate, but then also ramping things up, you know, with uh, with what I do professionally. So so getting back involved with with active duty and gearing up for um, a couple sets of orders right now. So I'm in full transition mode from politics to to deep state, and it is <laughs> it's very yeah. interesting. From fighting the deep state to jumping right back into the administrative one. It's, yeah, it's 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 like the slogan from uh from the Godfather, right? Every time I think I'm out, they just keep pulling me back in. They pull me right back in. Nice. <laughs> well, it's good to hear you're doing well. And uh as always, we're gonna thank you for your service to our country. It's great to hear, at least in that context, that you'll be out, you know, serving all the hardworking men and women of uh MAGA country while in, in your uh duties with the military. Yeah, two duties that I don't think I'm ever going to let go of uh, full time. Either one, uh, really, really for uh, for the rest of my life. I let you know it's two things that I'm, I'm really proud of serving, and then um, and then going out and cracking heads for for Ultra Mega as well. I mean, someone's got to get out there and rev it up, and uh, and we're seeing all these races rev up now. I think I think our brand of of, of Mega is finally the um, predominant brand. It, it used to be like. We were the, the the fire breathers that you keep if if we picked a fight or we'd come in and, and have to clean clean out the room. You know, we we're the special forces for MAGA. And now we're just like mainstream MAGA, ultra MAGA. You know, there was gonna have to be some kind of a mild rebranding if Donald Trump was gonna run for president again. We saw, you know, it, it was so weird. What Make America Great Again was on the campaign trail back in 2015 was like all rhetoric. It was theory. Uh, we saw a lot of it materialize over the course of his presidency. But, you know, after what happened in the 2020 presidential election, where obviously there was some funny business, we saw Dinesh D'Souza's documentary dropped. You know, we talked about a lot of the other things that, that affected the election, the historical fraud that's usually seen in places like the Blue Wall states, Pennsylvania, especially Philadelphia, uh, the Atlanta area and Georgia, et cetera. You know, you had all the the interference by Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. And then, of course, the free for all mail in ballots throughout the country, which is just something you can't ever you can't QC it. You can't keep track of it. It's like, you know, if you want to ever audit something that's got full on mail in ballots across the entire country, it's like pouring out toothpaste all over your sink and then trying to put it back into the bottle. It's just never going to happen. You know, so. There was going to have to be some kind of a mild rebranding. We saw Dark Maga rise a little bit recently, which I kind of do like. He is going to have to, to you know, dial into that a little bit, I think, in his campaign. And, and he's an excellent real-life shit poster. Uh, but I think the Ultra Maga is probably where we're going to have to be at. And, you know, you've seen some of these people out on Capitol Hill already, the Matt Gateses of the world, who really just gets in people's face and uh, tells them how it is making a mark for us as, as you know, we're heading into the primary season, which was very good for Donald Trump. He upped his record to 55 and O after a 22 and O showing throughout the States of Ohio and Indiana. Last week, we saw some of the enormous America first candidates, uh, starting off with the Senate, obviously JD Vance took the Trump endorsement and rolled it into a huge victory. You might as well call him Senator elect because I think 
The Republicans in Ohio came out almost 1.2 million, and it was barely over 500,000 for the entirety of the the Democrat side of the ticket in the primaries. It's almost no way in hell that they are going to be able to eclipse that much in the general election. Um, but we also saw House, House candidates Max Miller, Mike Carey, Madison, Jesse Odo, and J.R. Majewski, who are at the front line of America First. Not, you know, the regular Republicans or some of the incumbents that were going to run and win in their district just because they're a little conservative here or there. This is like part of the America First movement. All rack up big wins and uh, head into the general election looking to make Ohio great again. Uh, what did you think about, you know, some of those results that came out of Ohio and Indiana last week? Well, I, I think the president's uh, finally got something right. It only took him a year and that this is not your father's Republican Party. Uh, this is this is what we've been waiting for. We talked about MAGA, dark MAGA, ultra MAGA. Ultra MAGA is going on offense internally within the party. It's something that, you know, I've been on a handful of times you've seen me do is hold people in my race, people in other regions uh, accountable for their words and actions and their resume. Uh, but now it seems like that's the trend, not the exception. And, you know, the Matt Gates is of the world, the trend, not the exception. Uh, you're, you're seeing all of your favorite actors, all of our favorite people uh, rise to the level that we knew that they were capable of in endorsing. And it's not just President Trump's, it's, it's everyone, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, you know, with Gates, et cetera, Don Jr. hopping in the jet and, and flying out there and saying, what do we got to do on the ground to, to get the right people in? Uh, and, and you're seeing uh, a shift in like a plate shift here, a tectonic shift when the club for growth of the world are going down. And not to say that everything that they do is bad, but we know where their donor class stands. You know, club for growth's done a good job in shifting their um, their policies and their their branding in the last few years, but their donor class has pretty much stayed the same. And it's all these, uh, you know, Coke aficionados yep. and, and, the, and the Bush class and um, uh, just establishment people that would have been like maybe Tea Party extremists, but uh, or, or however you want to label them, Tea Party activists at most. But, you know, but really, this is just free trade globalism. Uh, taking a punch to the jaw and we got to we got to knock it out for, you know, we got to knock it out and win the fight. And that means not just putting the great bevy of candidates that you were referring to in office, but also, um, you know, it's 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 going to be if I will tell you what, if I was still running, if we were on the clock a month ago and someone said, look, you may win, you may lose, but it, it's going to be tough. Some feelings are going to get hurt, as Steve Bannon would say, in these primaries. And it's a, it's a self-check, but it's going to put us in a position um, a year from now to when, when these people need to govern and make decisions, we have the right people in there. Uh, we, you know, it's not just the cliches of getting the rhinos out. It's not just this is this is the best part about the Republican Party. I, I saw an ad in Politico or somewhere the other day, maybe the Hill of I think we we're running threefold the amount of candidates for these for these House races, which should just tell you that, like, you know, win in scale. We'll have we'll we'll go after each other until the best one gets in. And you're seeing uh, in the Ohio results that the best are getting in. It's not who's bringing more money to the fight. Club for Growth took the loss and it's more than just them. Um, you, the, you know, the family from Cleveland took, took a loss. They're billionaires. You're seeing billionaires and billions of dollars uh, lose to the MAGA agenda. You could see President Trump's record, 22-0 and 0 in the Midwest, 50-something and 0 generally. 
Uh, he, he's not losing, and the, the Texas outcomes were really good for him as well. So this is everything that we've been putting out into the universe is coming to fruition. We This is going on offense. If it seems a little irregular or the fact that you even have to prompt this is because we're not used to it, right? This is this is something that's not the norm for Republicans. It might be for people like us. I don't really let off online or in person. Wherever you catch me, you're pretty much going to get the same deal. But for Republicans, this is a, this is new. So we have to make this the norm. Uh, and and we can talk about you know some of the policies on the left that are making this real easy because it's we've been doing the same thing since President Trump came down the escalator in 2015. It's common sense policy. It's what everyone is thinking but was scared to say. And now that it's out there, we're just saying it. So this is like stuff that 20 years ago was 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 looked at as moderate. This is not. We are not the extremists that President. Uh, Biden, uh, you know, makes us out to be, but I will gladly accept the title. Sure. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, at some point, listen, the country can't go off the rails any more than it currently is at, mm, on every level. We hope not. Well. Yeah, don't don't jinx me, brother. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, he, he's going to be right in, right in line there. It goes any wilder than it already is. There you go. Okay, well, maybe it can a little bit, but, I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty effing bad right now. We are living through the real-life dog sitting in the burning room saying this is fine. Like, every day, on every level, you can't go anywhere without seeing, like, immigration, economy, gas prices, fuel your home, critical race theory, uh, cutting off your kids' wieners, like, you name it, foreign policy failures, southern border open. Like, there's not one positive thing that I could say about, like, anything to do with any kind of policy in any way, shape, or form in the United States right now. So it's like... Okay, yeah, you know, your your mom and dad's and your grandpa's Republican Party, like, hey, let's figure out the immigration problem by being tough on the border but having amnesty. It will lower your taxes. You'll love it. You'll bring home a little bit of extra money, and then we'll give up the White House in anywhere between four to eight years every time. Mm. We'll, we'll lose every other midterm election, and we'll never really get anything done. You, you could see it now. This is the first time the Dems have been in control of all three in quite a long time, and they've done everything in their power to erase the Trump legacy. Even yesterday, Andrew, I don't know if you heard, they voted to roll back the China tariffs after uh, having in uh, an April where we had $135 billion trade deficit. Just imagine how much that helps that. It makes no sense at all except out of spite and just erasing the man's legacy. Well, just the insane amount of money that we were giving China just for all the PPE and stuff they were <laughs> shipping over. Like, I saw something today... I think it was from... Uh, Thanks, Jared Kushner. I think it was from local uh, KOSI News or something like that. And it was basically saying that California itself spent... Here it is. Under the leadership of Gavin Newsom, California mm. spent $1.6 of taxpayer money on masks from China. But here's the kicker. The masks were never delivered to the residents. Oh. So I don't know what they did with them. It's called money laundering. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you went there before I did. I was going to bring that up on the federal level on more the Biden side of things, because the, the connections between the Democratic Party and the uh, and the CCP are wild. Oh, yeah. It's uh, really when, you bad. Look at, when, when you look at just the Democrats on the West Coast, the fine scenes of the world um, uh, shift, there's uh, what, what's his name? Swalwell. Yep. Um, the, the list goes on and on and on. And if, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's even still on Google. You can find all this stuff, the connections with the CCP, but, but I'll, I'll digress from that a little bit to say one of the things that I would bring up in these town halls when I was uh, still a candidate was, 
Um, the tariffs are so good that the Trump trade policy was so good that even the Biden administration hasn't touched 90 percent of them. Uh, and I, I, I look at specifically steel and, and, and stuff like that, that they are notorious for dumping. But it kind of went across the board. The most retarded thing that this administration's done that's under the radar is what they just did on tariffs. And, you know, it isn't a two way street like the trade imbalance isn't as simple as we want to, you know, that that's a win. That's part of it. And it's a little bit more complicated than that. But what I'll tell you is like the, the only uh, pat on the back I could give this current administration was leaving those on. And now there's not now I'm grasping at straws because it, it's very clear that the Democrats have been abducted by Wall Street and China. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't even they won't even breach the conversation when you talk about reshoring, nearshoring, uh, disentangling, you know, the, the, the finance level of stuff. I'm, I'm talking about supply chains, but even if you want to talk about like retirement counts, uh, domestic, you know, whether they're private or public, you know, military retirements being caught up with CCC or CC, you know, uh, communist communist party funding. And uh, and some of their some of their state owned enterprises are can work their way into our retirement accounts. We're funding the machine uh, that we have been on the on the public side of things for for generations. But there's no reason this should be in our retirement accounts. So we have to decouple the IP theft is worse than it's ever been. Uh, I keep hearing how they're clamping down on that. That seems to be a bipartisan issue, but that doesn't get any better. It only works. If we if we just start pulling out and I know it's it's tough for the Teslas of the world, you know, Apple makes a killing over there, but it, it simultaneously fixes so many problems if, if we just and forget near shoring on a strategic level. But on an economic level, everything that's been the devastation in the Midwest and the Rust Belt since NAFTA, it, it's it solves that and it could revitalize middle America by simply reshoring half the jobs that have gone to China. But. You know, when you go back to the top and ask why it's not happening, it's not it's not simply because the donor class says no, you know, on a corporate level, we're making out. It's because a strong middle class calls the ruling class for all of these ills and more when they're empowered and emboldened. And when you keep the middle class crippled on pretty much every single social or economic level. Uh, and demographic level for that, and you keep the borders open and you keep the, the foot on the next, the middle class, they don't have a leg up. So to bring that full circle, this movement and what President Trump said in two, 2015, 2016, when he got elected, he said, that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be to serve the common man, to give you a voice. When we see these candidates waltz through uh, these primaries, and then hopefully to Washington, it's to send the message that the middle class can no longer be impacted by globalism. We don't have the bandwidth for it. We, we, we were pretty much blown out in terms of debt, in terms of the opioids, the border, the competition for, for wages, for, for a strong wage. That's all from the Cokes. That's all from the Club for Gross of the World. Yeah. And, and that, that's what we're sending these people to Washington to do is, is a complete rebuke of this. Yeah. And it looks like with, with at least the forecast, um, after a couple primaries now, that that's definitely going to be the case. The the middle class, the real America First movement, the the pulse of America is starting to speak up, and and I really do think they have a way better understanding than they did in 2015. Let's say uh, of what's really at stake when you say like this country's going to hell, you're going to lose your country, you're not going to be able to get it back. I mean, we're really at that point right now. Well, when you talk about all the China stuff, it's like the American public is so disconnected from what you know the stuff that they have means like. 
you, you mentioned Apple's making a killing over there. Well, maybe a poor choice of words given, <laughs> given, <laughs> given the fact that, you know, the slave labor and Uyghur Muslims and just the genocide that's happening over there and everybody's just like, I got to get the newest iPhone. I don't care. I don't care if there's blood in it. Right. It's just wild. Yeah, I really, I really think the two issues that we need to get back to because you know so much of this comes full circle from 2015. But I really think uh, you know that we're getting softballs, we're getting these freebies with uh, with abortion and, and LGBTQ and, and everything that happened with COVID. But we really do need to get back to two main things. It's got to be China and it's got to be the border. Yep. This is what President Trump led with. It was so effective. And, and it's and they're tangible things that people can see, right? So they're like you said, like uh, are, are is 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 Joe Sixpack in in uh, Gary, Indiana, studying the FBI in China? No, you know. And I, I'm not trying to be insulting here, mm. but what what he does know is that his wages is that the plant's closing because it's going to Vietnam, and that his wages are going down because there's labor coming across the border. It's been happening for two generations. The Uniparty's done nothing about it. President Trump called it out. We got to finish the wall get that border secured and then and then actually have some immigration reform where we talk about a moratorium because if we're going to be in power we need we're, the sabatinis and the, and the joe kents of the world got to put their nuts on the table and, and lead this party and say we are going to have a moratorium their immigration is not as we know it this is not how you protect america's jobs its culture its demographics its sovereignty uh they want to throw the great replacement label at us i will gladly take that baton and carry it on and i mean it, it's it's happening here's the deal there are so many things that we can get back right if we lose the lgbtq uh, we, we might be able to pull back on that. If we lose, if we lost the Roe versus Wade and that leak is not true, you know, we might be able to, to fight that fight down the line. But there are there are societal and cultural things that we cannot change if we don't solve the border issue and if we don't solve the China issue. Yeah, they are the two most impactful things that affects everybody in all-encompassing ways. And uh, Well, not to mention all the stuff that we're doing that just shoots our economy in the foot with the green stuff and China literally is the one canceling all of that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, China and Russia. And I don't. I don't mean to give Russia. You know, I don't want to be one of those uh, people from the left that are just using them as a scapegoat. But China and Russia are fueling so much of this green energy propaganda because it it crushes our liquid natural gas. It crushes our oil, our fracking, really our energy base as a whole, uh, and, and of course, clean coal. It it, it attempts to. Uh, further devastate the middle class that's actually working on all those rigs that's actually that's actually digging and fracking and and, and working in the the factories that build the machines that uh, enable us to do that so this this green uh, revolution is as I described all the other things coming out of the Democratic Party really a psyop from China to to craft our policy to benefit them and, and yep. keep us less competitive and that's where we're at right now extremely less competitive unlike a lot of people who ran an America first agenda platform in the Ohio race this week, teasing it a little bit. MSNBC had a, uh, had somewhat of a, well, their standard meltdown uh, of, of what's the normalcy there. Let's hear them weigh in on uh, how they think the elections are going to go and Donald Trump's influence over the party. Hiking to me. And I guess I'll do the bad news first. And then the good news, the bad news is despite that, despite the Republican party being a small tent party, uh-huh. the bad guys are winning. The anti-democratic forces in the Republican Party appear to be ascendant. They're winning these primaries. And that's the one place where I disagree with Sarah Longwell, as I agree with much of what she said in her op-ed in The New York Times that you led with. 
But the notion that if these people lose in the general election and, and it's over and the GOP will reform, I think is wrong because they didn't learn the lesson the first time. Donald Trump lost them the White House, lost them the House of Representatives, lost them the Senate. And guess what? Republicans didn't get the message. Instead, they've doubled down yeah. and tripled down on the pro-Trumpy sort of intimidation message that the GOP is carrying. That's worrying to me. I think even if these candidates like J.D. Vance lose in the general, I still think they're going to be going back to the well of Trumpism. That's the bad news is that people who cheered on the insurrection are the types of folks who are now trying to go get elected to Congress. The good news, though, as you know, is that the tide has really turned for the pro-democracy side. And we've seen, and I think we're likely to see, the enthusiasm gap of, you know, in these midterms shrink. And that was one of the things that our organization, Renew America Movement, was worried about going into the midterms, is that Democrats really weren't excited to go vote. Republicans were fired up, and it looked like a lot of pro-Trump figures were going to win because of that. Now, as you note, that enthusiasm gap is closing. It's going to be a much closer midterm election period. And one other thing that people aren't talking about, Nicole, is there are actually a lot of Republicans who don't associate with the pro-Trump side that are winnable in these elections. And I'll give you an example. In Arizona, a key battleground, 20 percent of Republicans say they're open to voting for the Democrat Mark Kelly or they're undecided. That's one in five. That's a huge pickup yeah. opportunity for the other side. So we see that in other states. Yeah, I'd like to fact check where that poll came from. Hmm. Andrew, is it embarrassing to hear one of the top three legacy <laughs> media outlets? I mean, I know it's it's standard practice from them. Just spew almost two minutes of straight up lies there. So it, it, it would be if I didn't um, expect it. If I didn't already, I, I took those credentials away from them years ago. So he, here's what you're listening to right now when you hear that clip. You're, you're listening to people that, that live in a bubble between, we'll call it D.C. and, and Boston, the Acela Corridor. And, and, you know, it's they're, they don't they don't speak with people that don't. The threshold for them is a master's degree. And, and if it's not an Ivy League master's, then, you know, they get talked about behind their back. You got to understand these people aren't going to gas pumps because they don't own cars. These people aren't. Uh, uh, worrying about the cost of a loaf of bread because they've been paying Whole Foods bread costs for for a generation. Like they're, they're so detached from the from the normalcy of Middle America, from places like upstate New York, and, and they're only looking at GDP. Right? They look at cultures. At forget the word culture. They look at countries and nations in terms of GDP. They they it's an echo chamber. They listen to uh, counterpoints, bounce back that are just equally anti-Republican for different fabricated reasons. None of that was based in reality is what I'm attempting to say. And you're looking at people, if they're disillusioned now, you better check on them in November because that, that sounded uh, dystopian. That sounded almost completely manufactured. There was nothing organic about that. There was nothing heartfelt about that. I mean, it was all emotion. It was all backlash. You're looking at a, a lashing out of the Democrat Party, uh, and, and and of course, it's the, the icing on every cake from them in terms of a hot take is always well because you know remember remember we won the presidency right it's always even they know that the last election wasn't legitimate so they constantly go back to that oh it's going to cost them the White House and it's going it's it's constantly the school marm talk of oh, no no no. And it, we're just we're not even we're, we are checked out from the nonsense. So I'm I'm happy to hear that they're still, um, uh, you know, certifiably insane on the left <laughs> on these outlets because I, I don't I don't check on them. So thank you for that. 
Yeah, they'll never cease to amaze you in that department. And, you know, you make a whole hell of a lot of sense. It's just one of those things where they're going to try and hit, hit as many talking points as possible. We're going to talk about the impending Roe v. Wade decision in our next segment. But, you know, you've seen them all, Nadler, Pelosi, uh, Schumer, just out over the past week. And it's like they're almost reading off of some robotic kind of like a uh, cue card in regards to all the things that the Republicans are going to do. And at the end of the day, if that, which is one of the most awful policies in the history or rulings in the history of the world uh, gets overturned, it, it's not really going to do anything in the big picture. So, the, but that's just what the Democrats do. They take nothing and they turn it in the worst thing ever, which wasn't the worst thing ever was, was JD Vance uh, getting over the finish line and a big, big win. Uh, the guy from MSDNC, quoted some stats about low voter turnout. But when you look at the actual numbers on a piece of paper, it was over two to one uh, for the Republicans in the primary. He joined Tucker Carlson to talk about some of the things uh, that helped him get over the finish line. In addition to that, his primary, or I'm sorry, general election challenger, let's hear it. ...came from behind to win the Republican Senate primary. We can't overstate how alone he was. Democrats, of course, were against him. But all the money people in Washington in the Republican Party were against him, too. And he won anyway. And as he explained last night, he had a message that people actually liked. Here's how he summarized it. We are going to do battle against an establishment left that thinks that people's jobs, that think that people's values, that think that people's basic livelihoods and sense of dignity in their own country is not something worth protecting. That is the battle we're about to fight. J.D. Vance joins us tonight. JD, congratulations. I mean, I get, you know, it's been 24 hours since you won, but two weeks ago, I don't think anyone thought you had a good shot at winning. I hope you're enjoying it. Why do you think you, why do you think you won? What about your message resonated? Well, I think obviously I had the support of President Trump and that helped a great deal. But yeah. I think more importantly, I actually aligned uh, with, with the America First movement on the core issues. Uh, right. If you think of the Republican establishment as a group of people who've gotten very rich from shipping Americans jobs overseas and sending their sons and daughters to die in stupid wars, we were pushing in the exact opposite direction. And of course, the money people didn't like that. Uh, but some very important people did, namely the voters of Ohio uh, who, who, who sent us uh, to, to do battle against the Democrats in November. What's so interesting is that the rap against you was that you were a fraud. You know, J.D. Vance was skeptical of Trump. Now he's all in on Trump's agenda. But if you were a fraud, they would have sent you money. My impression was they hated you because they suspected you were sincere. They could smell the sincerity on you, and that was the threat. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Tucker. I mean, look, if you, if you think of some, some of my biggest enemies in this primary, uh, you know the slime ball Carl Rove, uh, who shipped a lot of American jobs overseas, got rich in the process, and also sent uh, a lot of Americans to die in stupid conflicts. You know, Karl Rove uh, spent a lot of money. He wrote a lot of op-eds criticizing my candidacy. He was even calling my donors after Trump endorsed me, encouraging them to drop my campaign. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, what this revealed is that you do have some very corrupt political consultants in the Republican Party who despise their own voters. Uh, it was crazy, Tucker. I mean, a couple of days before the primary, after I, I think we'd already kind of locked it up, we were way ahead in the polls. Uh, a Republican donor group put $2 million on TV to attack me, which really uh, didn't hurt my candidacy against the other Republicans. It actually just hurt me against the Democrats. So it actually, the candidacy, you know, my, my candidacy revealed an incredible amount of corruption in our own party. And I think that's one of the things that I do have to fight against. You know, Tim Ryan, who I'm running against, is a, is a total fraud, but we also have to fight against the corruption in our own party. Yeah. Uh, 
Andrew, did it take you a little bit longer than most to, to warm up to J.D. Vance? I mean, as, you know, someone who's a political commentator and not in the political arena like myself and Noah, it took us a little bit longer just because there were some obvious red flags. Tucker made some good points on, you know, what happened and why he wasn't receiving big-time donor money from D.C. And, and actually Mitch McConnell and Carl Rove collaborated like they're currently doing with uh, Eric Greitens out in, in Missouri to kind of make his life miserable. Um but it it seems like he's bought in. His his talking points are pretty strong. I mean, I do like he's a, he's an extremely complex guy, very intellectual for someone who's prior military. You know, he's got that whole log background as well, uh, studious, if you will. But did it take you a little bit longer than than the average politics follower to warm up to JD Vance before you know finally uh, you know thinking that he might have the right agenda in mind? It did. Um... Uh, until, until, I mean, just take take the similar um, a hyper analysis to to someone like Mandel, and then you you run towards someone like like JD Vance. I mean, uh, Mandel's like our our Beto O'Rourke. He's he's a professional politician. He's our very own Beto. But no, I, I had the pleasure of meeting um, JD uh, in Florida at a conference not too long ago, and we sort of locked you know, caught each other walking through the halls, locked eyes. We're like, Oh, we, I know you, you know me. And, um, and it was right after MSNBC just did a hit piece on me, him and Tucker lumped us all together, which I'm very appreciative of, uh, <laughs> on the, on the anti-war, uh, you know, they call it pro Russian or whatever. It is. So, so I, I, we immediately just picked up and started talking about that. And one of the things that Tucker hit on just now is the sincerity that resonates with voters uh, I'd like to think of myself as a pretty intelligent guy, and I could, I could, I would be able to tell if he was not sincere, if he was not MAGA. That guy brings it. Um, he gets my co-sign any day of the week, and it's not because of you know I don't care about the book, I don't care about what he said about president. You know, throw all that, throw all the good and the bad out. When you sit down and talk with the guy, you know, he he if he if he did that to voters, just an ounce of, of the respect that he showed me, and uh, and he brought that gravitas, that you know that that military style. He's got a lot a lot more energy than people give him credit for. He's he's certainly a fighter. I don't think people really expected that, but the bottom line is uh, he's the real deal. I would I would co-sign him, and I'm I'm hoping to see him in a Senate that desperately needs him, along with Blake Masters. We need President Trump to make that endorsement, uh, the official endorsement, I should say, very soon. And uh, and we saw it put him over the top. I think President Trump put that to bed with the endorsement, and, and it's just something that we got to move on. We don't have time to dwell on stuff like that as a party, and that's one of the beautiful things about a primary. Sure. You know, Blake Masters has joined us three times throughout the course of his race, and we've really gotten to know him, extremely comfortable with him, and he is running probably one of the strongest, at least on, on America First Principles campaigns out there. He's got an extensive ground game. He's doing a lot of FaceTime, shaking hands. You know, it's the same thing with Blake Masters. I don't have as many red flags with Blake Masters as I did with J.D. Fence in the beginning, but Blake Masters is definitely a political outsider. He brings a way different vibe than, like, someone who's, more in your face and 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 kind of uh, over the top in regards to the MAGA movement, but when you hear him really break down some of the issues, dude, the guy is brilliant, and uh, it's like adding a healthy mix of all the different kinds of things that it's yeah. going to make like for a really strong and new Senate, uh, hopefully after the midterm elections. So this whole thing sent the Democrats into crisis mode. They had so much shit going on this week. In addition to like, let's just say things like Alejandro Mayorkas getting his ass kicked up on Capitol Hill. You know, Jen Psaki's getting ready to leave now in, in, in just a few days as her time's short. 
people are, are just going all over the place, and, and it's not looking good. So, of course, all they could do is kind of roll Joe Biden out there to read off a teleprompter. He was talking about the economy, but then kind of went off the rail with this ultra magna or ultra MAGA uh, narrative and, and talking about MAGA is now the Republican Party. Thank you. Let's hear the actual clip of him talking about it. I believe you should be able to make as much money as you legally can, but just pay your fair share. There's no reason why a billionaire should be paying a lower tax rate than a teacher or a firefighter. That's in sharp contrast to what today's Republican Party is offering. And if, I, if, if they hadn't put this in print, you'd think I was making it up. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, United States Senator, who's leading the Republican National Senatorial Campaign Committee, released what he calls the ultra-MAGA agenda. It's a MAGA agenda, all right. Let me tell you about this ultra-MAGA agenda. It's extreme, as most MAGA things are. It will actually raise taxes on 75 million American families, over 95 percent of whom make less than $100,000 a year. Among the hardest hit, working families, kids with folks. Imagine your oh, family of four and you don't, pay, you don't make enough money to have federal taxes You're not because you don't, you don't make enough money to pay them. You pay all your taxes, but you just don't make enough. And under this new plan, this tax plan, the ultra-MAGA agenda, while big corporations and billionaires are going to pay nothing more, the working-class folks are going to pay a hell of a lot more. And it goes further than that. This extreme Republican agenda calls for Congress. Now, this is — I'm not making this up either. You ought to really think about this. It requires a vote, if it were to pass, Every five years, the Congress would have to vote to reinstate or eliminate Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Social Security is something seniors have paid in for their whole life. And it has to be reauthorized. Has to be reauthorized every five years. Look, again, it's hard to make this up. But then again, it's a mega agenda. You know, uh, meanwhile, millionaires and billionaires and corporations skate by. Imagine that. Just imagine that. I think it- mm. I can't with that guy. Listen, if you need somebody to go and stump for you, it, the worst person on the planet that you could ever imagine. I think, like, nobody actually asks him to come. He's just like, hey, I'm coming. And they're like, uh, fuck, okay. Well, it's his economy. I guess he has yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> I, I mean, if I was still running, I'd have him come stump for me. I want him to do this weekly. I need look. <laughs> he, he presents the Republicans as some ubiquitous, ubiquitous um, cookie cutter. Um, we all speak the same. Like, no, I mean, this couldn't be the most. I hate using this word because this is just leftist language. But we're, we truly are the most diverse party. Mm-hmm. You have all these, and it creates this resilience because you have Blake Masters isn't the exact same thing as J.D. Vance, right? Which isn't the exact same thing as as, uh, as Joe Kent or Madison Cawthorn or, 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 or Marjorie Taylor Greene. But those are like, that's the definition of America first, the type of types of people I'm describing. And they're also very different. So um, the, he, he's so incapable of, of, I mean, it would be so easy for me to go out and say, the Republicans uh, are a broad, broad stroke. They're all the same, this, that, and the other. But he, he's not articulate anymore. So... Uh, I mean, like I said, I want him out there weekly defining what MAG is. I think it's great for the party. Uh, I, I would, I would, we need to get a pack for Joe Biden to come talk about 
the current state of MAGA on a weekly basis, <laughs> give them an hour and, and just make it happen. But no, I mean, we, we know, obviously, we're, we're more connected uh, in more ways than one, that this party finally is a party of ideas and not big donors. And it's sure. taken, it took President Trump to get in there. It took about really 10 years since the initial Tea Party to start having, uh, you know, that, that it's, like, it's like an arena of ideas and personalities and, and, and culture. And that's really what we're bringing to the forefront now with Ultramag is like, what type of way of life do you want? And, and the way that we said, JD, going through Ohio and giving people the dignity to answer that question for themselves is the type of party that we are now. It's, it's the working class party. Uh, it's been totally hijacked, not instantaneously. This took about a generation, but the Democrats are the party of, of, of China, of Wall Street, of, of the East Coast and West Coast elites. And that's just, I'm, I'm so comfortable with that. <laughs> I mean, I guess to wrap it all up, congrats, props to, to President Biden on, on communicating that for us so that we can just, you know, they keep giving us all of these, um, all these ads and all these commercials for the upcoming elections. I just want it to continue. Oh, the commercials will be glorious. Mm. And, and yeah, leave it to him. Like literally the one thing that there's no way that he could fuck this up and he goes out there and just completely empowers the base and at the same time insults the establishment Republicans who are showing their hand right now and it's extremely weak. It's come down to like smear tactics and all this other bullshit funding campaigns of like establishment rhinos when America first people are, are running in campaigns like Joe Kent's and uh, you know, the next thing you know, Donald Trump reendorses them just to remind everybody like, listen, I don't care how much money Kevin McCarthy is going to funnel into Joe Kent's primary challenger. He's going to be the person you're going to vote for because I'm basically telling you, this is the guy that I want to run. You know, Joe Kent, alluded to us the other day that he had a, a a very nice job lined up for himself in what would have been the next Trump administration after the 2020 midterm elections. However, things didn't work out and this is where he's going to go and continue to serve this country. But, you know, it, listen, it, it's just an absolute embarrassment. And, and someone who highlighted that in our last clip on this segment was uh, Senator Rick Scott, who is kind of set up a national apparatus uh you know as the person who's doing the the national vetting and stuff for the republicans uh running in the senate and it looks like he's going to be able to give mitch mcconnell a legitimate run for his money he's a big fan of donald trump obviously we all know he has presidential aspirations but that time will come down the road it's not his time yet and i think he realizes that um but he stepped it up big time and is pushing back against mitch mcconnell behind the scenes he was asked about those comments about ultra magna let's hear him Senator Scott, we appreciate you being with us. The president mentioned you by name yesterday, slamming what he called an ultra MAGA agenda and a plan that MAGA. would tax 75 million Americans <laughs> and require laws to be renewed every five years. What is your direct message to the president? Sure. First off, I, I watched his press conference and I think he was incoherent and he clearly doesn't uh, he's confused. He doesn't understand yeah. the facts. I don't think uh, if my mom was reading that, she would ever say it's, it's uh, it would, she'd say it's common sense. You can go to rescueamerica.com to look at it. But let's just go through it. First, first he said that, um, you know, I want to raise taxes. Actually, I think I probably cut taxes more than anybody in the U.S. Senate. Fact. And think about, you know, Biden. That's what he's done his whole career. I mean, he talked about the deficit. Think about what he's done. Since he got elected in the Senate the first time, the deficit has, or the, the total debt of the country has gone from less than $1 trillion to 30, and he's got a plan to take it to 45. So he's confused when he says he's reducing the deficit. No, uh, he's not reducing deficit. And, you know, his press conference was touted that he was going to deal with uh, inflation. 
didn't, he didn't talk about inflation. He's caused inflation, 8.5% inflation. And then with regard to Medicare, I mean, he's the guy that has sat there year after year and voted to put Medicare in a worse position to where in four years from now, it goes bankrupt. Yep. Social Security, uh, 12 years from now, it goes bankrupt. And it's because of things Joe Biden has done, you know, decade after decade uh, to not make sure it's properly funded and to do things that, that put it in a worse financial position. So I think he was incoherent and pretty confused. I can agree with that one. Yeah. Uh, I do like Senator Rick Scott's 11-point plan to save America. And uh, it could because it basically outlines the entirety of the first Trump presidency. And like I said, it, it's pretty weird. Rick Scott's got like a, a multiple personality disorder or something because he is yes. so polite and, and soft spoken. I didn't even it didn't even sound like him when he's talking to that lady. And then when you see him on the Senate floor, sometimes he gets in these people's faces. He's just an absolute beast. So. But I do like the fact that he can kind of play it nice. It's one of those things that uh, I think we're going to need moving forward, and I'm, I'm going to continue to to hope that he uh, really challenges Mitch McConnell for this uh, leadership in the Senate following the midterm elections. I don't know if you guys heard. It's just coming across the wire now. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was cleared by a federal judge in no wrongdoing in regards to whatever they were trying to do to keep her name off the ballot. So now that verdict and decision goes to the Secretary of State, who can, I guess, officially weigh in, in Georgia whether or not she's going to appear on the ballot. But it looks like after the judge's ruling, it's almost impossible to even kind of uh, make an argument for her not being it. So that's another candidate that's going to be uh, looking to rack up a big win in the midterms here now. And uh, we're about to get joined by one, the 56th governor of the great state of Missouri, who's running America First uh, campaign now, he's, I, I don't know if you guys saw, he was hanging out with Don Jr. this weekend doing a little pew-pew. Uh, we're going to let Eric Greitens audio queue up. All right, coming back on Steak for Breakfast, one of our favorite in the Senate race for uh, Missouri, 56th governor of the great state. Joining us again on Steak for Breakfast today, Eric Greitens. Thanks for coming down. Hey, guys, it's good to be on with you. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Governor, how's everything going with the campaign right now? Everything is cruising. It's coming along really, really strong. We had a couple of grassroots rallies earlier this week. And I'll tell you this, people are more and more fired up every day. And the really good news, what gives me a lot of hope about us taking the country back is not just, you know, we're going to win this Senate race, but more importantly, people are getting engaged, right? They're running for their local school board or they're finding a candidate at the school board who, who they're, they're helping. They're actually going out seeing who's running for mayor. People are really paying attention. They're getting engaged. They're figuring out how to take their communities back. After all of the nuttiness of the critical race theory and the transgender agenda and the inflation and the defunding the police and the open border and the military disasters, it's overwhelming. And, and, you know, one of the things that, that I've recognized about human beings is that a lot of times, you know, when things are overwhelming, people have a choice and they can either kind of, you know, close in on themselves and collapse, or you can open your heart and you can say, you know what, man, it's time to act with courage. Let's, let's go to work. And the American people are responding. It's really, really heartening. Yeah, it's great that you say that to see such a good response from the from the people in Missouri. We know that they're probably hurting right now when it comes to the economy, with illegal immigration, with the you know non supporting of law enforcement. We know, uh, you know, our listenership. We we talk about you all the time on the on the show, Governor. And you were a huge jobs and law and order governor when you were the governor of Missouri. And it's just one of those things. It's like you hate to say it, but in your senatorial campaign, you got a lot of unfinished business for this country, and you've rolled it out, and it's one of the most you know, strongest America first 
campaigns out there, and and it, it's just got to be an exciting feeling to see the people responding to have you back in politics and at the forefront of getting ready to take care of the great people of Missouri again. Thanks, brother. No, it's it's really good. And look, what people are responding to is they want to have authentic people who they can relate to. They want to have people who've lived real lives and have real experiences and actually care about them and are willing to act with clarity and compassion and courage. You know, I, I mentioned the rallies that we had. People in Missouri want to support our police officers, for example. Right. And we talked when I was out in Kansas City about how when I was governor, how we defeated Antifa, how we defeated Black Lives Matter. It wasn't that complicated, but we just put together a very good team with a strategic operational and tactical plan. And when they came in, we beat them. We didn't give them any room to burn, to loot, to break windows. We were on top of the situation. We protected public safety protected everybody's constitutional liberties, and people want that kind of straightforward, common sense leadership again. The left is so insane, so insane. All people are looking for is common sense, and they want some courage. They're disgusted by the corruption and the cowardice of the rhinos and the Republican establishment. And that's why, you know, the other interesting observation I'd say is more and more true is that conservatives and patriots, they come up to me all the time and they say, I guess I'm a Republican, (laughs) right? They say, I I guess I'm a Republican because the Democrats are insane, but they're so disgusted when they see election integrity and people stab it, how they stab President Trump in the back. They watch these rhinos push the Green New Deal. They watch them get in bed with the globalist agenda. They see them fail to stand up for a secure border. And so they're really, you know, the left is crazy and people see that. But people are also disgusted by the corruption and cowardice in the Republican establishment as well. No, that's an excellent point you make. And, you know, one of the best things that I've been attracted to about your whole campaign is that you almost refuse to to campaign on the K Street, the establishment talking points. You really want to talk about the stuff that is affecting this country. You're a huge border advocate, law and order. You talk about the globalist agenda and the Green New Deal and how those things are so destructive to our country. I think that's what resonates with the, with the people. They don't want to hear about amnesty and lowering taxes anymore. That's an era that is is needs to be retired. And, and after the last couple of primaries and, and you know, you could definitely see the nationalist populist movement is alive and well and looking to put the establishment Republicans to uh, to bed for hopefully good now. And, uh, you know, you're running on a campaign like that. And, and it's just amazing to see someone actually out there calling out the real issues that are affecting the country. The people, when they go home at night and they get out of their car, they might not have enough money to get all the food they need or to heat their home as much as they want. And you're out there campaigning on those issues. And I think that's what's resonated with the popularity that you're having right now in your campaign. Thanks, man. You know what's also interesting? We're at a very interesting historical moment now where it's certainly the case that at the grassroots level, at the voter level, this is an America first party through and through. That's where the energy's at. That's where the passion's at. That's where the intensity is at. People are supporting the America first agenda. But the Republican Party at the elected official level and the Republican Party at the donor level, you We'll have a lot of that uniparty establishment, old school party there. And that's why you see this tremendous conflict within the party. It's why I get attacked constantly by guys like Karl Rove and Mitch McConnell, right? Because I was the first candidate in the country to say that when I'm elected, I'm voting against Mitch McConnell, right? Because we need new America first leadership. And it's obvious to people that that 
era has, is of, of Republican politicians who are out for themselves is not going to work. Those guys need to go. We need leaders who are focused on a true American revival. And I'd also, again, say to your listeners, that that means all of us, right? I'll do my part running for office and we need good elected officials. But if we're going to really revive the country and take it back, this has to be a cultural revival. This has to be everybody getting engaged at every level and saying, what can I do to help to take our country back? And that is what truly terrifies the establishment. Not just me and candidates like me, but when they see that we have hundreds of people who are coming out, it gets people fired up. We had this this group the other day in Kansas City, 57 women, they call themselves the like-minded ladies. (laughs) 56 of them had never been involved in politics before, but they watched the madness of critical race theory and the transgender agenda and defunding the police, and they said, I'm coming out. That scares the political establishment. So I just say to everybody who's listening right now, remember too that you have the power. It's not just people who are running for office. It's everybody who's listening right now. And it's not just the power to vote, that's an important piece, but it's also the power to get engaged in your community and make this and build this into an even better country. And we have that opportunity right now. Yeah, it's great just to see the amount of people and the enormous difference in demographics that you're getting involved. Everyone from people who feel disenfranchised from the Republican Party, tons of independents, and then people who may have never even been into politics ever. Uh, it, it, it's a huge first step, but when they see, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be a reoccurring theme of our show today to talk about revival uh, of what's going on right now in this country. Everything that's going on from campaigns like yours all the way down through, you know, the Trump rallies that are going on every weekend. It just seems that the people have, are sick and tired of it. The hangover from the, the 2020 presidential election is gone, and they're ready to get this country back on the right track. I did hear you mention uh, people like Mitch McConnell and Karl Rove. And, you know, this is kind of late-breaking news just in the last couple of days. It seems like, and unfortunately, you were vindicated again in some personal attacks that have come upon your campaign. You want to let our listenership hear about the, the most current update? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you, some of your, your folks will remember when I was on spring break with my boys in March, Carl Rove got together with my ex-wife and put together this nasty series of vicious, vicious accusations. And of course, the mainstream media went out and they trumpeted them literally all over the planet. And then they were completely disproven. They were disproven by the dentist records and the doctor records, disproven by the therapist records and the media records, disproven by their own photographs, by their own emails. These were completely and totally blown out of the water. And what just happened yesterday is that the judge just granted us full access to my ex-wife's cell phone records to see when and how she was talking with Carl Rove and Mitch McConnell linked staffers. So it's just another indication that we are getting to the bottom of these extraordinarily nasty, dirty tricks. But this is what the establishment will do. They will work with the mainstream media to lie and to attack America first figures. I mean, I often remind people, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, people know it, it took place over the course of years. Remember, the Republicans were in charge of the Senate and the House while all that was going on. You had Mitch McConnell and you had other rhinos who were working with the mainstream media pushing all of that false narrative. They come out, they attack me, they attack President Trump constantly. It's what they do. But I'll tell you this, here's what's fantastic about what's happening in 2022. The game is up. 
Everyone has seen through their lies and people know their instinct now is if NBC, CBS and ABC are saying it, if the Associated Press and CNN and MSNBC are writing it, it's probably not true. Whether they're talking about COVID vaccines, they're talking about the Ukraine, they're talking about election integrity, they're talking about Hillary Clinton spying on the Trump campaign, they're talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. They have been wrong and have been proven to be wrong on all of these issues. Yeah, they certainly have been. And uh, when you talk about the fear that's going on inside the Beltway right now, you know, you're a regular on the show. We've also had on some really good America First uh, senatorial candidates just in the last two weeks, Blake masters has been on with us. Adam Lexalt's been on with us. Herschel Walker has been on with us and you know, you, you throw them in there, JD Vance, whatever happens in Pennsylvania. There's a, that list of is growing almost daily on, on people that have no intention of voting for Mitch McConnell. So you can expect every dirty trick smear campaign, leaked audio ex-girlfriend or wife coming out of the woodwork in all of these campaigns and trying to sabotage them moving forward as we head through the primary season, uh, which is the last thing I wanted to touch with you on. I saw you were out doing some stumping with Donald Trump Jr. Recently. How was that experience? It was awesome, man. So we actually went shooting together here in Missouri. Donald Trump Jr. came out. And I will answer for all of your listeners the very first question everybody in Missouri asked. (laughs) Donald Trump is a great shot. He's a very, very good shot. We were out. We were putting some rounds downrange. And it was fantastic to have him out here in Missouri. And it was so good of him. You know, Donald Trump Jr., he and Kimberly Guilfoyle, who's the national chair of my campaign, they have been attacked mercilessly as well. Most recently by the January 6th committee going yeah. after him. They're just, they're just attacked every day. And one of the things Donald Trump Jr. said is, he said, look, he said, when I see that CNN hates somebody and the New York Times hates him and the establishment hates him and the mainstream media keeps attacking him, he said that that's my guy. Those are the people who I like. And so it was really, really good to have him and Kimberly out here. And, and people are so, so much wiser now than, than we were back in 2016. And, you know, having Trump Jr. here in Missouri was, was really, really good. Yeah, it, it is good. And, and I did see you guys had a whole bunch of fun. Kimberly Guilfoyle is an amazing woman, and it's awesome that she's the national chair of your campaign. And we, we continue to hope on this show. Uh, you know, our personal preference is that Donald Trump will go out and throw you an endorsement soon because, you know, sir, at the end of the day, regardless how much you supported him when you were the governor, and then you parlay that into the campaign that you've rolled out now, which is absolutely outstanding. I mean, you've done the work. You deserve it. But uh, it doesn't seem like it's affecting your poll numbers not to have the endorsement yet, and it would only do anything but bump them if it happened. So we're we're, we're – Looking forward to that down the road and, and are continuing you the best of luck. For sure, man. No, things are things are things are good. And you know, one of the things that we've learned too, you know, if if President Trump decides to run again in 2024, one of the things that's gonna happen is that people recognize now we need to have strong America first leaders in every cabinet department. We need to clean out the deep state. I don't know if you guys saw, but I was really disgusted when I saw these recent comments from Mark Esper. Yeah. Um, Esper's, you know, President Trump's former Secretary of Defense. He was only put there by President Trump. That's why he was Secretary of Defense. And Esper's out now trying to trash the president, trying to sell a book. And I'll tell you this, when I listened to what the president was saying, the president was talking about how we can stop drugs from Mexico, fentanyl, 
that kills thousands of Americans every year. He's, he's, he's asking Esper, what options do you have? And Esper basically throws his hands up and says, I don't have, I can't do anything. In the summer of 2020, President Trump's trying to stop violence across the country. And he's asking these guys for options. That's what commanders do. Yep. Commanders at every level go to their people and they say, give me options for how do we accomplish the mission? And President Trump was rightly frustrated. He's frustrated with Milley. He's frustrated with Esper. Why? Because these guys aren't giving him any options to stop drugs flowing across the border, to protect the American people. President Trump was doing exactly what he should be doing as commander in chief. That's taking command and trying to protect the American people. And he deserved to have and needs to have strong leaders who have his back instead of these deep state bureaucrats who are always trying to stab him in the back. They, he needs to have people who are going to really support him and pursue his America first agenda. Yeah, and it's, it's candidates like you that are out there right now making sure that that happens come the midterm elections. But moving forward after that, I can only imagine the vetting process that are going to go into some of these uh, you know, appointees and cabinet members in the next Trump administration if and when he decides to announce that he's running again in 2024. For sure. Governor, we want to be able to direct our listenership to help you out as much as they can. We, we know they love you across social media, but people in Missouri who want to get out and knock on doors, in addition to that, everybody knows the rules. We don't donate to Ronald McDaniel and the GOP anymore. Kevin McCarthy made enough money for the year. Don't worry about him or Mitch McConnell. You donate directly to the America First candidates that are best going to represent you when they win in their state and head up, up to the Beltway and, and get in the House and Senate. So your uh, campaign website and social medias? Yeah, thanks, brother. Now's the time. You can check us out on social media at Eric Greitens, E-R-I-C-G-R-E-I-T-E-N-S. And also come out to ericgreitens.com. Again, E-R-I-C-G-R-E-I-T-E-N-S.com. Everything helps. When people put in 10 bucks, that turns into a yard sign. You put in 10, $15, we, that turns into social media that helps us to get our America First message out. You know, every donation, every volunteer hour, it all matters. And we'd be honored to have every patriot who's listening help us to win this, this seat and take back the country. Yeah, you're one of our favorites here on Steak for Breakfast. and got a big, big primary coming up. It's August 2nd, right? You got it, man. Exactly. We're looking forward to it. This is the uh, 56th governor of Missouri, one of our great friends who's running one of the top America First campaigns in the entire nation for the Missouri Senate seat. Eric Wrighton, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Great to be on with you guys. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. All right. It was good catching up with the commander the amazing campaign he's running there. Good to see that he was vindicated yet again in the uh, Carl Rove and Mitch McConnell-inspired plan to derail his campaign. And recent polls have showed that his numbers have actually gone up because of it. So kudos to Breitbart News for covering that end-to-end -end and uh, making sure that they know the truth about everything that's going on with him. I can't wait till he's in the Senate. He was really a strong ally of Donald Trump in his uh, time as the governor there, and he's put one hell of a senatorial campaign together as well. Um, one thing that's going to be coming back to the Senate, it looks like next week, is this impending Roe v. Wade decision. We've passed the end of the business day in Washington, D.C. without an actual verdict. A lot of people were expecting it to come out maybe today. It might be one of those after-hour jobs, kind of like at 4.30, 5.30 p.m. East Coast time. But uh, it's something that definitely heated up after we found out last week that one of uh, Sotomayor's clerkers... Is that really how you say your name? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that you could put a little bit more of a Spanish emphasis on it, but... My pronouns are super white. 
<laughs> I don't know. How to, but, you know. Is it, it just like Sotomayor? I don't know. You know, I get, I get bummed because she goes to the Yankee game sometimes. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge Yankees fan. And Aaron Judge is their best player. And she'll dress up in the right field bleachers with all the people who wear, like, judges robes. And, you know, get in there with the fans. And it's like a whole thing. They have, like, the judges section. But, really? uh, yeah. They wear the robes. Uh, there's like a whole section of the right field bleachers that wear like judges robes. And she actually went and participated in it a couple times last year. Cause his name's Aaron judge. This is one of the reasons why I'm a Mets fan. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought there was like a, just a bunch of judges that had like season tickets. Or no, something. but I hate when she acts like a normal person because at the end of the day, she probably goes and burns whatever she wore there and says how she hates all those hardworking. Yeah. I prefer these people to be as unlikable as possible. Yes. Yes. Like I I hate to smile at that stuff when I know she's just a terrible human being. And it was probably one of her staffers who leaked uh, some of the notes from the, you know, explanation of what's going on with Roe v. Wade. Uh, I think we could best get a, you know, wrap our brains around it. If we, we hear some audio clips that support it. Donald Trump was actually asked this week. He appeared on real America's voice and uh, he had mentioned stuff about it during his presidency, but here's him talking about it now. The Supreme Court, this big deal, Roe v. Wade, the the Supreme Court now authenticating that draft uh, opinion by Sam Alito, in essence, overturning Roe v. Wade. Were you surprised to see this? Well, we don't know exactly if that's true, (laughs) because it was certainly something that they're working on. It would imagine. I don't think anyone made it up. It sounded like him. He's a great man, by the way. He's a tremendous guy. But uh, as a justice, he's just fantastic. And uh, and you have some. Some great ones up there now. You have some bad but ones, But we have to find out what that means, and is somebody going to do something about it? Are they going to try and change it? Uh, is it real? Nobody really knows, and they don't know who leaked it. I will say the leak was a terrible thing. Mm. You're just not used to that for the Supreme Court. We see it uh, so much leaking in our world, in your world, in my world. And although not so <laughs> much now, it's very interesting. You, know, you try and cover those leaks. But you've never seen it, or they've rarely seen it, in the Supreme Court. Yeah. It was very shocking, I think. I think it was a very bad thing for the court. Well, Chuck Schumer says it's all your fault, of course, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned. Obviously, he's talking about those three pro-life uh, Supreme Court justices. Yeah. Can you pack your thoughts? Well, a lot of people are very happy about that. So some people maybe say it's my fault, and some people say, thank you very much. <laughs> Nobody could, huh? could articulate it the thank, way he does. Thank you very much. Andrew, is it amazing to see someone at his age, 75 years young, and it does appear that physically he is de-aging. Uh, he's out there playing golf. He's doing events at Mar-a-Lago anywhere between three and five days a week. Um, you know, he's a Save America rally. Aside from Easter weekend of this year, he's done every single weekend for the last three and a half months. He's in a different state, packed house, hitting the tele- teleprompter list right off the cuff, 90 minutes, two hours, every single time. And uh, can you imagine if Biden talked for two hours? How funny that would be! It, it would never happen. It, it just would never happen. Um, but it, Andrew, is it amazing to see how much steam he's picking up? Like it's it's almost incomprehensible to think that he won't announce as soon as those campaign finance laws. I believe it's a hundred days out of the midterm election where he's allowed to make it official and not get hit up for an entire another year uh, to be making a run at the White House in twenty twenty four. He's unbelievable. Um, you're dealing with it with an Ubermensch from another galaxy. This guy, uh, <laughs> it's tough to articulate just uh, what the last 10 years of, of Donald Trump has really been like. He, he refuses. I don't know where the energy comes from, uh, but he refuses 
to to plateau or, or, or have a downfall or, or anything like that. I, I don't have to knock on wood because he's unjinxable. The difference between um, the very first run in 16 and now is that the the mainstream media won't abandon him with a couple months to go right around the primaries because we don't have we don't need that anymore. I mean, we there's been entire media companies built uh, a resilient social media uh ecosystem thanks to guys like elon musk and just the growth of all these of all these platforms and avenues it's not like he needs that stuff solely but this is stuff that he was fighting against he hijacked an entire political party after beating the democratic dynasty of the clintons there's nothing standing in president trump's way and for all those people that were saying it could be something like uh you know, DeSantis could throw his hat in there. I saw a poll six months ago that was like DeSantis somewhere around like 29%. Uh, and this was like, of course, a leftist mainstream media, mainstream news poll. So they, those were inflated a little bit. I saw one the other day that has DeSantis at like 16%. Not to say I'm just, that's the only devil's advocate uh, uh, thing that anyone ever throws in. So I don't think that was a reality to begin with, but he's on fire right now. Uh, a couple a couple rallies ago, I said he was in rare form, but it just gets better and better and better. Uh, if uh, I mean, just let him go. I think I think it's I think he's gonna it's gonna be like like a like a Reagan uh, who's it Mondale uh, beatdown where where Trump takes states that we didn't even think were possible, and and then of course the final linchpin here and and what took the 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 win from our sales last time is the election integrity thing that we are actually focusing on now. So even if one state gets robbed in this, and I know that that would be a travesty, we, we're now focusing on all the right things. The party's on all cylinders. Trump looks better than ever. I, I hope that, I hope I did a good job of partially explaining my, my feeling going into these, these, uh, these uh, midterms and then, and then the presidential elections. Yeah, no, you make a whole lot of sense. I mean, when you just look at the actual numbers, you're talking about those states that we might not expect. Let's just go off the 2020 presidential election. Blake Masters, Arizona, Adam Lexalt, Nevada, Herschel Walker, Georgia, three states that went the other way indecisively in 2020. We're going to get overwhelming wins, I think, in all of those. Adam Laxalt's finally cleared the Democrat uh, incumbent there. Uh, Blake Masters is polling better, even though they're saying he may be in second place right now. I, I think it's way closer than that. If not, he's ahead. There's a lot of people scared of Blake Masters. I know you've hyped him up a little bit throughout the course of our conversation today. People don't understand how amazing this thing is. You know, we had Jim Lehman on the show uh, in between one of the times we had Blake on, and and Jim went through his laundry list of things that are wrong with Mark Burnovich, who who really he's only campaigning to be a Fox News analyst after the midterm election. He has a zero percent chance because at the end of the day, if he was even winning in the polls, it would take some well-targeted Donald Trump shit posting to derail whatever he's got going on there. But he won't debate. He hasn't campaigned. He's raised no money. I mean, he goes on Fox News like twice a week because he's probably going to have like a weekend show there after the midterm elections, which would be fine and, and where he's well-suited. But, you know, you and then Herschel Walker obviously is like he's extended quite a lead. Uh, I believe it's like nearly 65 percent in the primary and, and up to 10 percent against Raphael Warnock in the general election. And they haven't even started to roll that out yet. We had Herschel Walker on last week. He's another amazing guy who's got a long documented history of knowing Donald Trump all the way back to the 80s. Donald Trump essentially gave him his first chance in professional sports. And it was good to get that kind of insight, uh, you know, onto the intricacies of their relationship. Now, if you throw a Pennsylvania in there, which I'm sure we all have red flags on. Dr. Oz is just a weird endorsement. Like we 
we kind of get it. They're, yeah. long, they're long-term friends. They're TV friends. Like, I'm sure, like, Dr. Oz has really reassured him, like, it's not going to be one of those instances. The people in Pennsylvania will probably figuratively and literally kill him if he turns out to be, like, a Paul Ryan or, or, or just, like, one of these bullshit senators that they have in now that just vote against Donald Trump because Donald Trump's proposing some legislation. I don't see that happening. I'll probably feel better after the rally tonight, but I still need to see Dr. Oz work a little bit harder. Uh, you can't just keep going out and, and opening up every single time you, you reply in these, in these debates, which I don't think he's won any of them so far saying, well, Donald Trump chose to endorse me X, Y, Z. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's not your ace in the hole. No, but, you know, we do need a little bit of diversity in this America First movement to work within certain demographics of probably the agenda he wants to take out. And apparently that's where Dr. Oz fits in there. He's not like one of those get in your face America First guys, but he's probably reassured Donald Trump that he'd been there. Um, getting back to this uh, Roe v. Wade thing, this is going to be one of the D Democrats' like main talking points heading into the midterm elections. It's really not going to go anywhere. Tucker's going to explain it, but then we're going to talk about just about this ruling and how awful it is. It's all pretty bewildering if you consider what Roe v. Wade actually is. And that is true no matter what you think of abortion itself, whether you're strongly for legal abortion. The decision, as a decision, Roe v. Wade, is a widely acknowledged joke. Moral questions aside, Roe is the most embarrassing court decision handed down in the last century. Every part of it, from its invented constitutional justification to its meaningless parameters, mocks the idea of sober jurisprudence. The point of the Supreme Court is to interpret the Constitution. Abortion is not mentioned or alluded to in the Constitution. Roe is invented whole cloth. And if you don't believe it, reread it 49 years later. Go ahead and try it. It'll make you blush. And that's just the fact of the matter right there. That was a decision that was made when it was a lot more of a radical, progressive Supreme Court. Um, they bent the knee to that agenda and, and basically coddled what they were calling for at the time when, when the ruling was made nearly 50 years ago. And for what the Supreme Court does and stands for and is and supposed to go by, like by, in its guidelines and in its duty, there's no place where Roe v. Wade fits into a Supreme Court ruling that should have been upstood for this long. Like, yes, it's a huge virtue, virtue single, but there's no constitutional protection for abortions in, in, written in the Founding Fathers' documents. And, you know, when you talk about it, it's it's just nonsense for them to even try to make it an issue like ending Roe v. Wade or overturning the decision does nothing to stop abortions in this country. Yes, there'll be states that ban them, but you could just get in your car or take a plane and, and go get one somewhere else. And I'm sure there's going to be places like Planned Parenthood that are going to offer alternative solutions that are just the same as abortion or actually abortions and and just violate state laws like we see people do now for all like the good all, common sense abortion laws. Exactly. For all the stuff that Ron DeSantis did so amazingly in Florida uh, over the past couple of years, right, w with how he stood up to the federal government and the CDC and the FDA and all that bullshit, did kids still get forced home in Florida in some of the most radical progressive parts of it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did they still have mask mandates in some of the same set places in, in Florida? Yes. It, it, it just depends on where you are and, and what's going to – there's going to – I don't know. Andrew – you want to try and wrap your brain around this one and give our listenership your take on it? I mean, it virtually does nothing, but they're going to make it seem like it's the end of the world. Yeah, well, you you inadvertently, anecdotally hit the nail on the head during that rant. Uh, <laughs> it's all virtue. It's no, it's it's all virtue signaling, and this is how they want to legislate. This is how they want to run an economy. This is how they want to teach your kids. This is how. Um, 
they want to do everything and it snowballs into real world effects. So you saw that happen back on the court uh, with Roe yep. and the fact that it's coming off and they're making um, a, something about it is, is only going to further expose them because Tucker was just on the tip of the iceberg there. If you dig into that case, uh, it's, it's all virtue. Signal. It was like the beginning. It was like the, the original virtue signal, right? Yep. <laughs> it's, there's no substance there. So just like everything else, whether it's in the federal courts and pushing things all the way to the Supreme, just like it's these hyperactive uh, anti-MAGA judges and some, unfortunately, Federalist Society, Trump-appointed federal judges uh, that let us down. It's all a virtue signal. It's all to keep their job, to keep their, you know, in this case, um, to obtain future clerkships from the left or from the moderate center-right uh, Federalist Society. Look, you're not going to, the, the conversations that you're hearing uh on the left, obviously on the bench, but behind closed doors at these federal society meetings are, are these, remember, these are Yale graduates. Yep. These are people that are, that are, you know, the federal society served its purpose, I guess, uh, from its essence. And it's done more right than it's done wrong. I, I will say that, um, you know, that the founders are based, uh, some of the speakers, some of the participants and, and, and financiers of the, of, of groups like that are based, but, um, they refuse to to touch on the social issues, on the social structural and social fabric issues like Roe that, again, cannot be. These are irreversible things. These are people that aren't being born. This is a, this is a society. You know, you, you also mentioned a little bit about localism. Well, you know, federal laws override that stuff. So, um, yeah, we can't legislate. We can't uh, govern. We can't. Uh, make decisions on, on on court cases based on wokeism and virtue signaling because you, you have this, what you'll get is this 1984 uh, world that we're seeing come down from the, um, even even obviously the, the biggest avenue for this virtue signaling uh, governance is the administrative state, but we depend on courts and we depend on Congress to have actual policy go, st- go through. So uh, I guess just staying away from something that sounds better um, uh, in theory, then it'll actually uh, work out. I mean, you know, we're, we're, this is so far out of our Ballywick here, being uh, where we are in terms of commentating. You know, we're, we're pragmatists, we're common sense people, but yeah. we have to go 30,000 feet up and just say, like, this is all just like the original woke doctrine. And, and that's all we're doing is revealing that. So staying as far away from that and just getting back to common sense policy in all areas of governance is, is where we need to be. Someone who doesn't know much about common sense policy, but is definitely in tune with all things pronoun related. California governor, Gavin Newsom hate that guy. was quick, <laughs> was quick to weigh in this week. Uh, how get, all right. So I got, I'm just going to spoil it. My next three clips is going to be Newsom, Schumer, and Saki. Fire off the button. Mm. But something that Gavin Newsom said, Noah, might surprise you. The people at Apple who makes emojis are going to be mad too. Listen to this. Consistently opposing all of those supports. Hell, they don't even believe in climate science. Talk to me about being pro-life. Oh, spare me. Your body, your choice. It's a hell of a moment to live in. But like you say, we will not be defeated. Why does he always sound like he's going to cry? We will stand tall. We will stand firm. And we will affirm the constitutional, currently constitutionally protected rights 
of women and girls for their reproductive rights and freedoms in California. And we will assert ourselves, as I said, as Californians by punching above our weight, working with other like-minded leaders and governors and legislatures all across this country. And we're not going to roll over. We will not back down. And we will continue to fill in the gaps and address the disparities that continue to persist even in a state like ours, even in California. Mm. Mm. So literally nothing changes for California. Nothing. Nothing. Like not even a little bit. Like not even a hint of change. He would go on to elude that, and I'm quoting now. Unless he's going to like start offering abortions at the French Laundry or whatever his fucking restaurant's called. If men could get pregnant, <laughs> this wouldn't even be a conversation. Wait, what? That's what he said. Did I miss that? No, that's what was what got next. But imagine that it's been virtually scrubbed from the internet. Wow. Yeah. Does he realize that's not like something that's approved for his team to say? How dare he? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like that. and But it's just like you allude to, Noah. Nothing's going to change in California at all. As a matter of fact, it'll probably be worse if you can even imagine that. But. For him weighing in, so everybody knows he's probably going to be the Democrat nominee for the president in, mm. in 2024. And uh, how Donald Trump will destroy him is already the highlight of some of the few dreams that I have. But he's just an absolute hot mess, and he could care less about anyone or anything other than himself or his wallet. Mm. Andrew, what do you, what, what, how does it make you feel when you hear the governor from the former great state of California? First, I'm going to give you my explanation. <laughs> then I will explain how I feel. Uh, he's doing his best Barack Obama yes. impersonation there. But uh, he's like, he's so diabolically fake uh, and, and just like a shell of what a human is that it's, I, I find it initially entertaining. And then I just, it, it's kind of bizarre. But I, I'll tell you this, and I'm going to cut, you know, all jokes aside, I find this highly offensive as a birthing person um, <laughs> that, that uh, you know, I, I just I can't believe that he was that uh, insensitive. And, you know, I, I mean, does he know that I get a period as well? Uh, that, that I, I'm able to birth. I'm a man. Right. So I, for him to say that 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 we need a reality check is, is just something that uh, that I can't stand for. I mean, that's just. You know, but but I will say this: if okay. he is the, uh, now, I promise I'm not joking. Now, if he is the 2024 uh, candidate, man, he's sort of lost his touch. Yeah. And um, I, I will say, like, it's it's more transparent than ever. I think what really rattled him was when he was under threat of losing his his um, his gubernatorial race. What was it last year? Two years ago? Yeah, last year the recall. And he doesn't seem the same. Uh, that seemed like I was listening to like a really inappropriate frat bro do like a black pastor impersonation. It, 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 that was kind of, I mean, he was doing his best Barack Obama, but I don't think anyone's buying it again. He slipped up on his own pronouns there Oops. and, uh, and he, he's breaking his own leftist doctrine. I mean, that was just bizarre. So I, I don't, you know, I, I I'm so far removed from that world. It's, it, you know, me commenting on that would kind of be like MSNBC or the clip you played earlier of them trying to talk about, Republicans, I mean, we're living in two different solar systems. Yeah, it, it, and it is parallel universes. And they will try to make it that as he 
probably goes and, and, and starts to roll out his national campaign. But he's been doing a lot of stuff in some different states. And, and, you know, being in California, you get to track him a little bit more. He's also gone on, like... Stuffing some ballots in that recall. Mm, certainly did. Well, There's yeah. no way he got more popular. Yeah, Newsom, you know, I'll tell you what, and in all seriousness, Newsom um, perfected one of the things that, that got us not in 2020 alone, but affected, and, and Devin Nunes does a great job of explaining this, before the steal in 2020 it was the 2018 midterms where like i think it was like five to seven it might have been more it might have been double digit uh republican loss in the california house uh california representation in in the house and and it's because they he perfected ballot harvesting. yes and this is before it was like a mainstream thing and then that was exported they took that system and exported it to the entire country uh, mainly those purple states or battleground states, but but Newsom has a has a really impressive machine over there. All jokes aside, mm-hmm. hey, you have an open Senate seat in California where there's that Kamala Harris's Senate seat. Uh, as of last week, the Republican challenger, Dr. Cordy Williams, is up 1.7 percent in initial poll for the general election and for that seat. I mean, you're telling me that's something like in a state where we have a Democrat supermajority for the last two or three election cycles, it makes no sense. Mm, nope. Yeah. That's what happens when you get a little well, bit if, lazy. If you, if you think that's interesting, wait till uh, Feinstein will probably not be fit to, to be in office here. I, she can't hold a conversation from some reports and I'm not being sarcastic. She can't, she can't keep up. So there's going to be another Senate seat open. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, no, we, we let the president be like that. Why wouldn't we let her be like that? True story. That's, there you go. <laughs> Our least favorite Senate majority leader, Chuck, crying Chuck Schumer, took to the floor yesterday to, uh, well, we'll just keep it in the same thread, virtue signal about just exactly what the Senate's going to plan on doing next week. Let's hear it. For two decades, over two decades, Republicans across the country have worked to dismantle Roe. They've worked to take away the rights of women who simply want to make their own choices and not be told by some doctor, some senator, some court justice how to treat their bodies. Republican politicians across the country are passing laws telling the women of America, your body, our choice. Kind of sounds like COVID. So much for the party of limited government. And now with the Republican court on the verge of tearing down five decades of precedent Republicans suddenly don't want to talk about their complicity in this effort. You ask them about, do they support repealing Roe v. Wade? They change the subject. What does that say? It says they know they're on the wrong side of history and on the wrong Sounds side like of the American the, uh, people. Alejandro and their 30-year effort, they now wish to go well, underground because they're actually afraid in certain ways that it might succeed. All week, we've seen Republicans try to duck, dodge, and dip (laughs) from their responsibility for bringing Roe to the brink of total repeal. This is about to change. Next week, the U.S. Senate is going to vote on legislation to codify a woman's right to seek an abortion into federal law. I intend to file cloture on this vital legislation Monday, which would set up a vote for Wednesday. Republicans will have two choices. They can own the destruction of women's rights, or they can reverse course and work to prevent the damage. Count me as skeptical that they'll do the latter. Republicans have been on the wrong side of history 
and the wrong side of America. A poll just released today from Data for Progress showed voters want Roe to stay the law of the land by a two-to-one margin. Democrats, independents, and 35 percent of Republicans believe we should keep Roe in place. Next week's vote will be one of the most important we take, not only this session, but in this century. This is not an abstract exercise. It's as real, it's as urgent as it gets. God, he is the worst. Can't wait to not have to hear his voice anymore after the midterm elections. In an actual poll conducted this week, uh, 64% of Americans, uh, obviously, who were completely informed on what exactly Roe v. Wade at the federal level does and stands for, not the virtue single of, like, what they're all saying and protecting a woman's body and blah, blah, blah. Uh, 64% said it, it, it's not really a, a big factor if, if it goes away because it's not. What do you think? Uh, you think that rhetoric's going to heat up, Andrew, in the next week or so uh, as they get ready to put this motion on the floor? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure um, what, uh, what my take on that would be, but I can tell you that every time I listen to Chuck Schumer, it reminds me of that picture of uh, all these lizards laughing at a cocktail party. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I get, like, the slimiest vibe from this guy. Like, he only comes out, out from under a rock to to be super uh, pro board uh, on situations like this and, and I think deep down he knows that his seat's probably uh you know he's he's been talked about in terms of primaries for his seat for a long time from the far left and he comes out on these issues now and, and just and dro- drops this uh this bullshit on us and uh you know in terms of Chuck Schumer damn, man it's I, I I sort of tune out every time I hear him speak to be honest with you yep yeah I, I kind of feel the same way, and uh, we'll get away from that and then get into, well, it's kind of one of the things that we look forward to on this show, Peter Ducey versus Jen Psaki in the White House press pool. However, I, Noah asked for some dates, and even though I put the, the primary dates for the elections on the speaker like three weeks ago, he still hasn't written them on the board, but I do have a hard date for you. So Jen Psaki's last day is going to be May 14th, and it was announced yesterday uh, via the White House um, that she's going to be replaced permanently by... Our least favorite backup. Oh, no. Yes, Karine Jean-Pierre. And <laughs> it was rolled out that she was... That, it was like a different accent that time. That was like... Like you had some... It was a little bit more Dutch than it was French. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. I've never been to Haiti. So everybody's so happy. Yay, another woman. Another woman who's who's getting a... a not allowed to say that. Well, no, she, she is. However, she's also LBGQ, whatever, plus mark, exclamation, squiggly, mad face emoji. She's she's one of those two. <laughs> Definitely a mad face emoji. So that's what they're that's what they're hyping it up on. She's she's gay and she's a woman and she's black. Yay! But no one's talking about anything. Well, technically, if she wanted to, she could be a pregnant man too. Factual about her. However, I do have some receipts here on some things that she's done in her past life that she's going to get ready to bring to the White House. So just in case you were going to get a little bit more fair and balanced. What happens at the White House uh, spokesperson? What happens at the White House stays at the White House? Podium. This is what you're getting. She worked as the official spokesperson for MoveOn.org before she was hired by the White House. Mm. She has written several articles which have been published in places like the New York Times that have anti-Israeli rhetoric in it. Um, she's also a Me Tooer. So she she's published some works that say if you've even been accused... <laughs> of anything inappropriate to the other sex in the workplace, you should be officially disqualified from running for anything. That is one of her stances. 
Um, she is married to, spoiler alert, a CNN anchor, Suzanne Malvo. They do a lot of uh, red carpet events together. And she stoked enormous racial tensions after Donald Trump won the 2016 presidential election, where she went on to Bill Maher and said that Donald Trump was going to post a whites-only sign on Ellis Island to visit the Statue of Liberty. So these are some of the receipts. Oh, wait, can we say that last one again? Yes, she appeared. On yeah, that was creative. She appeared on Bill Maher after the 2016 presidential election and said Donald Trump should would probably be posting whites only signs on Ellis Islands to visit the Statue of Liberty. So those are some of the where, receipts. On, on where her. would you even come up with that? Well, if you look at who, who the head of the Disinformation Governance Board is, does her resume surprise you at all? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, how, how does anyone think any of this is a good idea? Oh, it's a great idea, according to it's fucking fantastic the administration. But we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. We still got about a week left with Jen Psaki, and yesterday her and Peter Ducey got into it on this whole Roe v. Wade issue. Let's hear the first one she's asking about, or he's asking about Joe Biden and. Uh, what he considers um, how far you should be able to go before you uh, shouldn't get an abortion. The president's position on choice has evolved over time, so just checking for his official position. Does he support any limits on abortion right now? Peter, the president has spoken, has talked about his position many times. He supports the right of a woman to make choices about her own body with her doctor. Well, I, I know that one of the Democrats that he endorsed and uh, who won their primary this week, Tim Ryan, uh, said yesterday that he does not support any limits on abortion. Is that where the president's thinking is now? The president has stated his view many times. So does the president support abortion up until the, the moment of birth? The president has spoken about this many times, Peter, and I would refer you to his own comments about abortion and a woman's right to choose and make decisions about her body with her doctor, which is what any of those women would do. Go ahead. I just don't understand with this whole argument. Like, why why isn't there any give whatsoever? It's like we're literally going to pull the baby out to its neck and then sever it at the spinal cord. That's okay. But they can't be like, you know what? Let's let's try to meet somewhere in the middle. Like, okay, you missed your period, you panic, you go take the morning after pill or whatever the equivalent is, and then that's okay. Like why is why is it they have to celebrate every just grotesque thing about it? And like no matter how you feel about abortion, whether you're okay with early on and against late term or whatever, but it's like there's no wiggle room. Like there's nobody that's just like, you know what? Yeah, that is really fucked up. Like the, waiting till the very end when it literally could survive outside the womb. That's fucked up. Like there was why a, is that okay? There was, or after birth. No, there was, I was just going to say that I was waiting for you to finish your point. There was a CNN poll conducted this week between 18 and 25 year olds are in favor. I don't have the exact number, but it was over 50% seven days postpartum. And, and is this a specific, uh, situation that they're talking about like the kid comes out and it's you know not going to be able to function in society or is it just like i just don't want this baby seven days later buyer's remorse just kidding lol yeah unfortunately that's kind of where we have gotten to i i think a lot of that is trolling because they know it pisses off republicans and conservatives i can see that but at the same time it's like you you don't hear anybody having a rational conversation about it like 
why is it all or nothing? Like, can't you know, like, hey, maybe up to X amount of weeks. Because you can't burn it all down if you're not all or nothing. Yeah, I guess so. So, boy, the, the 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 rundown that you guys just gave, whether it was the biography of the of the replacement or uh, sort of the hot the the representation of abortion from um, the Biden administration, which is essentially the president's already said this, but her job is to re say that. Then, anyways, these people sound like they would just be a hit at a cocktail party. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they just sound like the most popular people in the world. But I'll tell you two things that really are great for what's going on. One, the timing with what's trending just prior to mother's day weekend when all of this is you're celebrating motherhood uh you're all having dinner table conversations even if you're a family that doesn't normally do it people travel across the country to be with their mothers so if this comes up uh regardless of your stance you find that you're talking to your mother about the issue it sort of hits you in the face that that's how important we should treat motherhood so um of course, this is going to rear its head before the election, and I think the left is doing a great job for us in their fumbling of the issue, their their inability to be articulate, and um, they double down, triple down. Like you said, polls are sort of bullshit, but when they when they give these answers, when they troll, when they're aggressive about the celebration of abortion, I, I just don't think that's hitting suburban mothers, uh, a category that I was told is pretty important for elections. Uh, this fall. So, so keep it up. And all I can say is, is we need to keep being aggressive on issues that we actually care about. And if they want to, um, uh, you know, it's obviously that they don't care about these issues, that it is virtue signaling when they do the celebratory stuff, because it's so abominable and disgusting that rational people couldn't possibly be doing it. So when you look at the representation of both parties, we come out on top across the board. I think polls be damned here. And, uh, you know, maybe it's something about the newer generation. But when it comes to the voter block that we're worried about in November and then going into the presidential election, this is an issue. This is a wedge issue that I'm glad people didn't give up on from our party and conservatives because it, it's it's a winning issue. And, and, and it, it's it's taken people so long to realize that abortion is actually a winning issue. Yeah. Yeah. You make a whole lot of sense there. And, you know, it's like it's like you just said, I don't need some girl. Uh, who's, who's getting interviewed on the street on CNN who looks like one of the pig people from Return of the Jedi <laughs> holding up a sign that says, I wish my mom aborted me. To, to <laughs> she, she's, not a, she's not a Gomerian guard. She's a Gonorrhean guard. Yes. Just, you know... Listen, that resonates with no one. I don't, it resonates within that demographic only and maybe only there because I don't even think some of the, some of those people are just in it for, you know, the social experience. I really don't think they buy into all of their own policies anyway. But something that is deadly serious and actually has happened over the last 48 hours some of the Supreme Court justices, private residences have been doxxed online. And of course, people are there causing a ruckus and, and doing all this bullshit that they shouldn't be doing. And of course, the government, because it's a mostly peaceful protest until one of their houses burnt down, Oops. isn't doing shit about it. But you'd be surprised about what Jen Psaki said if she, when asked if she thought that was right. These activists posted a map with the home addresses of the Supreme Court justices. Is that the kind of thing this president wants to help your side make their point? Look, I think the president's view is that there's a lot of passion, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of uh, sadness from many, many people across this country about what they saw in that leaked document. 
Uh, we obviously want people's privacy to be respected. We want people to protest peacefully if they want to to protest. There it is. That is certainly what the president's view would be. So he doesn't care if they're protesting outside the Supreme Court or outside someone's private residence. I, I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest. I want it. We, we want it, of course, to be peaceful. And certainly, the president would want people's uh, privacy to be respected. But I think we shouldn't lose the point here. The reason people are protesting is because women across the country are worried about their fundamental rights that have been law for 50 years. Their rights to to make choices about their own bodies and their own health care are at risk. That's why people are protesting. They're unhappy. They're scared. You know, it, it seems like such a long time ago because so much shit happens in this country on a regular basis, especially with the, you know, since this administration's taken over, how unpopular it was when those 13 servicemen and women got killed in Afghanistan during the retreat. Mm. And, and they keep fucking around with stuff like this. You know, uh, people taking to the streets, already destroying property, you know, doing stuff to police officers and, and this, that, and the other thing. In addition to the crime wave that's already completely taken over all of the, the major historically uh, big parts of our country now in the major cities, they're going to not be happy until someone winds up getting hurt or, God forbid, even killed. Uh, Andrew, when you hear the White House press secretary, secretary talk about that and on behalf of the president, how does that make you feel? Business as usual for them and they could care less or uh, is it something a little bit more sinister? Let me give you the appropriate response when somebody asks you that question. The, politics is is an, uh, an ever-growing, all-encompassing, engaging aspect of people's lives, uh, rightfully or unrightfully so. And we understand the severity of the First Amendment, public protests, et cetera, et cetera. However, what we don't support is situations that could possibly lead to something kinetic, a form of violence, people having the wrong idea about when, where and how to protest it. There was just so she was so irresponsible in that response. And I'll tell you this, I don't care if it's from the, the right or the left. Like this is this is our side job. This is our hobbies. This is what we do from our civic duty uh, to try and maintain a cohesion in, in society to to not totally disavow doing uh, those proposed protests in front of uh, any. I don't care who it is. If you're if you're an elected official, if you're a judge, I mean, this is how judges have ended up. Uh, federal judges have ended up dead. People coming to their house. There's been stories of that congresswomen, you know, Congress, there's there's been assassination attempts on it's like 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 a good percentage, double digits of our existing of our presidents. Right. It's it, unfortunately in America, people take things into their own hands. But what you shouldn't do, especially in a comms role, is to set up the situation that could lead to that being OK. But I will stop there because it's too rational. Everything what I, what I just packaged up is, is too common sense, too commonplace. We're dealing with people that are under, not so undercover Marxist Leninists that, that thrive off of that dark energy and the possibility of, of something kinetic happening, of overthrowing govern, governments through, through mostly fiery, not mostly peaceful protests, through, through a summer of burning the country down, through a decade of it in the 60s. They wanna, they've overthrown countries with their uh, prescription of, of politics. So this is not a surprise to see it coming from, I mean, this is the aggressive left that, it, that is, don't, don't 
let Uncle Joe be uh, some figurehead or some cloak for what this really is going on in the White House right now. This is exactly what they want to see happen. We're going to see someone in some capacity get hurt. It's inevitable. It's American politics. But you shouldn't lay the groundwork for that. It was and, and I'm being I mean, we joke around sometimes, but that was highly irresponsible. Yeah, it sure was. And, uh, you know, it's something that's become common practice with this regime. And, uh, you know, I guess we could always say the clock is a ticking. And if uh, Ohio and Indiana were any implications on where we're heading in just a few short months as we, you know, enter the summer and, and we'll hit the polls in the fall in November, uh, things are looking pretty great. In addition to what was looking great, it was sounding great today, Andrew, when you joined us today. Uh, like I said, too few and and far in between. We need to have you back at some point. I know you said you, you might be uh, taking a little bit of a trip uh, out of the country, but if that doesn't happen or when you come back, we'd be more than happy to have you soon. I mean, we, we talk via text and uh, could set that up, and you're, you're welcome to join us on our show anytime. Yeah, let's do that. Let's at least sandwich that trip on the front end and back end of uh, of some appearances. We'll we'll gladly come on whenever you guys want, and uh, it's always it's always a pleasure. Um, always really puts things in perspective on my end, and you guys couldn't be better hosts. Well, we appreciate that, and we appreciate you. Why don't you let our listenership know where they can follow you across social medias? You know, I'm on Truth Social as Andrew McCarthy. I'm on Getter, I think, as A McCarthy and Y, Twitter, A McCarthy and Y. I need to keep up with all of them a little bit better. Um, but yeah, mainly on Twitter, I'll be stirring the pot and um, <laughs> and I look to expand all the social medium coming forward. We like that. And uh, we stirred the pot a little bit too much, apparently. In the form of seven, eight? Well, seven previous Twitter accounts. Oh, yeah. I got so nervous yesterday. I accidentally like locked myself out when I went in there. You're afraid it wasn't going to log back in. Yes. Yeah. So and then it went. It, you know how Twitter it paused. You're like, oh fuck. Well, no, it's weird. I, I logged back in and it's like she walked me through those things. Oh, what's this? This is spaces. Oh, what's that? Somebody just liked your post, and I'm like, eh, I don't like when this happens. <laughs> All I know is the last three times we hit a thousand followers within 24 hours, the account was gone. So we'll just have to see. Where are we at now? Almost six. Six hundred. Yeah. All right, well, it's everybody, been, everybody it's tell your friends we're going to do a little social experiment. Oh, we need to go to 1,000 followers to see if Ron's Twitter gets nuked again. I only have one more kid's cell phone to use for a phone number. Well, hopefully by then Twitter will be unfucked. True story. Andrew, we're going to live link your uh, socials in the show description today, and like uh, I already said, we'll be more than happy to have you back at any time. All right, boys, been a pleasure. We'll talk soon. You take care. Excellent way to wrap the week, if I do say so myself. Noah, what do you think? Yeah, pretty good. A lot of great content. Definitely some great guests. And if you would like to hear today's show, in addition to the other 131 Steak for Breakfast podcast episodes, you can find us on every downloadable podcasting platform. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Podaddict, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and now via the Roku app on the Patriot Podcast Network. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. Download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds obviously go to our uh, guest today. We had on former Missouri governor, soon-to-be Missouri senator, Eric Greitens, uh, former, Trump How- former Trump White House advisor, Paige Willie, and one of our favorites, out of the great state of New York, Mr. Andrew McCarthy. In addition to him, some of our internet friends, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Christina Baba Save America. Who else do we usually got? Tom Pappert, the editor in chief of uh, Valiant News Live. 
Friends, don't forget to go out and, and spend some cash on the partners of Steak for Breakfast, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. Don't forget about the BOGO. Sheets, towels, slippers, my pillows, and more. Buy one, get one free. Sometimes free shipping, sometimes free gift, sometimes both. Support the apparatus that is the MyPillow family and Mike Lindell. When you enter promo code STEAK at checkout on the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things related can be found at Odyssey. You definitely get what you pay for with the high quality ear experience. When you go to odyssey.com and support us by supporting them. Find them on Facebook, find them on Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. If you want to, well, Jen Saki's time is short. A picture of her pathologically lying from the podium um, in the few days she has left arguing with Peter Ducey. They'll put it on a concealed carry Kydex holster. Get the orders out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs. Delicious. They are so good. Uh, funny story, my kids came here a couple weeks ago because I didn't have anybody to watch them. And when we got in the car, the first thing they said was, Hey, Dad, guess what? Noah has man rubs. And I said, How do you know that? And they're like, We went through his cabinets. But. Yeah, a lot of man rubs in there. True story. And that means Noah bought it, shakes it, sprinkles it, rubs it, slow cooks it, drizzles a little barbecue sauce. Not going to hit you with the sweet roll this week. You'll just pull it and throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. There you go. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. I got that big man rubs uh, make barbecue great again blanket too. Like well, you do in the have green that, room. In addition to the mug that's sitting right in front of me. Yep. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arm has a pretty simple equation for everything you need gun related: firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. Newly redesigned, easy to use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. And what via the telephone 619-870-6992 or via Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. They love Mediocre Medic gear. Buy it at MediocreMedic.com. I think they love their IG a little bit more. And last but certainly not least, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday at a dumpbox.us. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. Upcoming shows. It's going to be a pretty wild May. We've got some great stuff coming down the pike. We'll be back on Tuesday. Boris Stepsign of Steve Bannon's War Room and former Trump administration official, George Papadopoulos will be joining us. Next Friday, we're ending it with a banger. We've got Amir Benno, constitutional attorney from Newsmax. In addition to him, we're going to be sitting back with uh, Cash Patel. Probably heard of him. And America's commissioner, Bernard Carrick. They're all going to be joining us. The following week on Tuesday, 517, we'll have Vish Burra on. On the 20th of May, we'll be sitting down with Christina Bob. Then looking down the road a little bit, Trump-endorsed House candidate running in Michigan 3. You probably saw him at the rally a few weeks ago. He's coming back on Steak of Breakfast. John Gibbs is going to join us. And then on the 10th of June, we've got an exclusive with none other than America's governor, Miss Carrie Lake. Nice. It's going to be a good time. And that's about it. Friends of the week. As we head into the weekend, Edward Russell memes, Hugh White memes, mostly peaceful memes, that Southern dude, Richard Ratboy, Maria Edwards, the real Al Gorbachev, Snack Dickelson, Dumbass Photoshop, Silent Meme Jordy, Real Brenda Memes, Grand Old Memes, and none other than Baby Cakes 2.0. Friends, between now and Monday, I'm going to change number one up this week. For our ladies listening, happy Mother's Day. In addition to that, that's birthing person's day. Stop it. <laughs> Not on steak for breakfast. Do your own research, because if you did your own research, you'd find out that the only people that can have babies is ladies and mommies. 
Uh, start a podcast. You put jelly on a lady? There you go. Uh, but most importantly, and probably heard tonight at the Trump rally, because it is Friday and he's in the great state of Pennsylvania, let's see what happens. This has been episode number 132 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And uh, we'll be back with episode 133 on Tuesday with Boris Stepstein and George Papadopoulos. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Have a good weekend. Antoinette will be back soon. Thanks for listening and take care. Focused on the scene and even though she was speaking, Chick talked so much, could have sworn she was tweaking. Wish she would shut up because I am peeking and it won't last long. Rights. It is not a sentient being. It is controlled by the globalists and it is a tool. So that I am not against technology, but I am against the technology that they have deployed and developed to replace us. We change our environment as humans. We conquer the elements. We conquer the wild. We're not conquered by other humans playing games as psychotics. And it's the sword of truth that is going to slice through the lies. And our declaration that we are in charge of this planet, not the globalists and not their machines. So to Jeff Bezos and all the globalist technocrats and Tim Cook and their slave camps in China and all their evil they try to cover up with Black Lives Matter, Marxism and the cop killing, I say to you, your technocracy is dead on arrival. <laughs> <laughs>